What is up, City of Champions? Hoping you all had a stellar Easter weekend, stuffing your little faces with food and smothering your loved ones. I don't know about you guys, but those goddamn mini eggs are like crack, and I can't help but eat the entire bowl when one is in my vicinity. Anyway, my podcast this week is with a guy who, when you see his picture, looks like he's probably never eaten an ounce of chocolate in his life. Otieno Chibe is a Canadian Olympic sprinter who went to the 2008 Beijing Games, and now he spends the majority of his time as a movement specialist and performance coach. Uh, he's also an entrepreneur, an artist, and does 101 other things that you guys will hear about. As he would say, he is a doer of many things. And this was, in all honesty, one of the most entertaining and hilarious podcasts I've done so far. Otieno has all-time charisma and he's an incredible storyteller. I sat down in his apartment uh, expecting the usual 60 minutes of conversation, but we ended up chopping it up for almost two hours. But with that, I would say stick with this one, guys, because it was a hell of a ride with Otieno Chibe. Okay, so how do I say it? Latino? Uh, it's actually pronounced Otieno. Otieno. Yeah, Otieno, okay. but I let people Badger that and say Othino. I've been, I'm definitely guilty of doing that as well. Othino. Just uh, I find like it's it's a little easier. Sometimes I'm sitting in front of someone for like five minutes. Like, <laughs> Otieno. Otieno and yeah. Chibe. Uh, chi. Chibe. Yeah. Okay. Otieno Chibe. Perfect. Totally yeah. butchered that. That's a not great, at all. <laughs> that's a great intro to this. I'm gonna leave that in there. Um, but uh, Otieno. Uh, Otieno. Otieno. Yeah. So think O T N O. Otieno. Otieno. Yeah. Otieno. Nice. You are a guy who does a million and one things. Um, yeah. So when someone, when you first meet someone and, and, and they ask you, what do you do or what are you about? What do you, what do you say? Uh, what, what's your opening line? <laughs> opening line. Yeah. I've seen many things. I've done many things. <laughs> uh, a lot of times you say I'm a jack of all trades, mm-hmm. master of none. Okay. But working on that mastery. Right. <laughs> I'm working on it. Uh, most people know me as a former track and field athlete. I guess there's not too many people get to go to the Olympics. So... Uh, when they hear that I'm, I've gone to the Olympics, I'm considered Olympian. I'm considered an Olympian, so mm-hmm. a lot of people know me for that. Apart from that, I'd say personality-wise, known as a guy with a lot of charisma <laughs> and a decent sense of humor. Yeah, always moving around, uh, partly because of a serious case of ADD. Mm-hmm. Is that <laughs> so, diagnosed or self-diagnosed? Uh, that was that was diagnosed. Yeah, in like grade three, grade two, or grade three. Okay, yeah, they told me I had ADD. Well, this was a te- this was a teacher, so right. I don't know if they have any kind of uh, yeah. ability to make that claim. Right, I just. Well, back then, because I mean, at that point, and even still until really recently, like yeah. lots of teachers would just say that because the kid wasn't interested in what they were exactly. teaching, right? Exactly. Now, I don't know if, if it actually translates, but did you start taking medication? No, nope, never took medication. Yeah. My mom was opposed to yeah. that too. And there's other ways to combat it. So, I mean, you were an athletic guy, so yeah. that helps a tremendous oh, yeah. amount. Recess was, yeah. was it. <laughs> Recess helped. My mom said, get it all out at recess, yeah. sit in the class, pay attention, because if you don't, you're going to be sitting at home in front of someone who's very pissed off yeah. with you. So. What did you do at recess? Uh, oh yeah oh man i didn't run the playground but i was if how about this i'll say i ran the playground as in did laps (laughs) all over it whatever game we were playing yeah i was probably 10 times more active than anybody else Mm -hmm. and i would not only was i faster than most people i was also very resilient like so i believe that my genetic predisposition i'm not all fast twitch even though i was a sprinter Mm -hmm. i think like i probably would have excelled at like maybe even a 400 or 800 Right. Despite my genetic makeup, like looking like I'm a bodybuilder, massive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just, just, just to put things in perspective for the listeners, 
I met Otieno, nailed it, right? Yeah. Yes, got it. <laughs> I met Otieno at uh, at the gym the other day, a couple weeks ago, and I was looking for the hex bar, the tra- uh, trap bar, um, trap bar, yeah, whatever yeah. you call it, the hex bar. And me and my buddy were looking around, and I'm like, oh, that guy's got it over there. And I did a double take, because you had like the whole thing <laughs> filled with 45 <laughs> plates. So we go, but Connor, shouldn't we, maybe we should take some lessons from this guy. Maybe we should ask him a thing or two. Um, and then, and then when you were done with it, luckily we caught up with you at the at the uh, sprint track and yeah, we sled yeah. pushes, and you gave us some free advice. Yeah, which, yeah, which was like awesome. Me. So I appreciate that. No um, what was your favorite sport growing up? <clears throat> favorite sport, uh, freestyle wrestling. Okay. I never got a chance to do that at a young age though, so I could only appreciate it in its entertainment form through WWF at the time, WWE wrestling. Uh, What's freestyle wrestling exactly? Freestyle, uh, folk style wrestling is like Olympic style wrestling. The, Olymp- okay. the, the wrestling you'd see yeah. contested at the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. So very different from sports entertainment wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I, this, there was a strong similarity there. Maybe I, I could even answer that question a little bit better. I was a huge fan and still I'm a big fan of mixed martial arts. Okay. And when I say mixed martial arts, I don't just mean like the UFC brand or Bellator or those other fight organizations, but uh, just the the different art forms be right. it judo freestyle wrestling greco-roman um these point games where there's like it's like a, a game of human chess mm-hmm. where you're having to use your systems arrange your body uh so to defeat your opponent mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily strictly a game of how strong am i but how well do i organize my system how fast do i do it in relation to the person that i'm working against right or with. so you like the so, idea that that one martial art could kind of trump another, but that might get trumped by another, a third one. Yeah, but, but yes, uh, more of just the individual's ability to adapt to the situation. Mm-hmm. I, I like martial arts. It's sad that it actually has to be categorized as Muay Thai, boxing, this, that, or the other. I would love it if it was just one, which is why I like the concept of mixed martial arts. Right. Because now you're seeing, especially in the UFC brands, you see... Right, all the all the, the the stages that offer um, fighters the ability to compete against one another. Mm-hmm. You're seeing people who are like their their practice is very hybrid, if I, that makes sense. Yeah. So they do various art forms. Right. Uh, and I would love for one day for someone to just call it nothing. Right. You know what I mean? Like stop giving it a title. It is what it is. Like. Okay. Like we practice all these things, let's end this whole specialization focus. And mm-hmm. I'm a jujitsu specialist, right? You know? But don't you need that? Like, don't you need like some form of categorization to so people know what you're talking about? And I mean, we as human beings were trained to do that in terms of like heuristics, right? Yeah. Like we just kind of we it's it's a built-in software yeah. feature of us that we're able to categorize things quickly because we don't have the time in our lives to 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 really an- analyze everything. We need to be able to summarize it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, and I, I agree that, like, both, there's there's two sides to it, mm-hmm. you know, definitely two sides to it. I think that the, 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 the poison for the specialist is when they're too close-minded mm-hmm. and they forget about the principle of correspondence, that right. it's all connected. Uh, <clears throat> I think that, that that tends to be the problem at times. Um, when it comes to creating a standard for people, for the layman's to pick up or for someone to pick up progressively, so, yeah. That's when specialization really works because right. now you you just pull that one textbook and you say, forget all the, the thousand other textbooks there are here. Yeah. Let's pick this up one bit at a time. Right. Too much time. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, when you say time, not having enough time, that's something that I battle with right now is like the concept of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think more in the lines of space and rhythm because personally, when I think time, 
sometimes it's actually stresses me out sometimes right. <laughs> so, you know it's like you're you're just wondering like oh my gosh do i have enough time to get this done that done mm-hmm. we always hear people say i don't have enough time in the day mm-hmm. and i feel like just shifting my focus to space and rhythm rhythm even including circadian rhythm and you know all the other rhythms that we see the way things the well I'll say the 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 rhythms that our body holds yeah. you know holds us true to or honest to um, and then space where am I how do I organize myself right. to try and focus on those things um, and I think that that's taken me away from the specialization in considering time mm-hmm. to now considering a greater gamut of things that allows me to right. you know to realize like the beauty in the actual moment mm-hmm. you know well, I mean, time is obviously the one thing that we can never get more of, right? yeah. no matter what we yeah, do. Yeah. And it's it's always a flow, right? What's mm-hmm. the line? It's uh, no man ever steps into the same river twice. Twice, yeah. The man's yeah. never the same and the river's never the same. Yeah. But one, <laughs> one thing I try and do, and I'm bad at it, but I try, and that's a bad way to put it anyway, but <laughs> is I attempt to uh, to not say I don't have time for that. I, yeah. I, I attempt to say it's not a priority. Priority, yeah, I like that, yeah. <laughs> because that really reframes things, yeah. and, it, and it makes you aware of, of your priorities. <laughs> And what's important too, yeah. like, and we're such complex people. I think that often we're not able to articulate exactly what it is that we're feeling or what we want to do. I mean, it's great to write things down and yeah. our motivations and our goals, but sometimes we're just impulsive creatures that yeah. want to do the things we want to do. Yeah. So you know, I, I think I think people's actions more so than their words certainly define them. I think you're kind of the same way. Yeah. You, know, you you're kind of seem like a guy who likes to do stuff. Yeah, and that's and that's very happy that we you hit that point because that's how I feel and why I've kind of taken a step back from the public speaking because I was encouraged to do it. Folks are like, man, you're well-spoken and just, you got this charisma about you. Yeah, you run off in different rabbit holes, but <laughs> just like listening to your stories. Yeah. And I'm like, that's cool. So I started doing it and I realized that's actually, it's not what I want to do right now. At mm-hmm. some point I will, but I know right now that what I'm really good at and what I enjoy the most is moving. Yeah. my actions like I understand spoken word that's an action uh, but for me I feel like it's thought motive movement mm-hmm. you know what I mean like actual movement moving my limbs that's when I feel at right. like at peace right if you want to get you know? up and pace during this podcast yeah, yeah. you can I'm, I'm, it's all good this mic picks up in 360 degrees oh nice very so, nice so when you were speaking like what would they would you pick the topic or would they want to you to tell a certain talk, talk about a certain yeah topic? I used to pick the topic and then I I for long, for many years, I was a yes man. Yeah. Starting to break out of that right now. So in the beginning, I promoted that I was, I had specific topics. Topics. I spoke about my life, mm-hmm. and I hate being wrong. Or that was that's another challenge yeah. for me is like working on that. In it, or I shouldn't say innate, but that nurtured like defense mechanism. Like yeah. my family was kind of like that. You get attacked, and all of a sudden you're like, fight back. Right. Fight back with your words. Yeah. Um, and I remember putting a lot of time into studying and stuff and reading, and I never liked being wrong. But anyways, uh, in the beginning, the public speaking bit, people were like, I want to hear you. And I'm like, okay, well, what do I talk about? And if I talk about something, I hope, I don't, I hope I'm not wrong. Right. And then I realized, well, if I talk about my story, I can never be wrong because exactly, that's, that's, yeah. that, that's my subjective reality. So I did that, and I had a really good time doing it. And mind you, it, within my, 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 uh, my keynotes, if I could say that, I spoke about my nutrition. I spoke about... Um, kind of mental health, having those tough conversations with yourself and all these different areas uh, that turned into people saying, you spoke about this. Can you deliver a seminar or a keynote on that? And that's it. Right. So come in and talk about nutrition. Mm-hmm. Another one. Come in and talk about performance. Come in. And then I, that's when I started to lose 
the the desire to do it when other people were asked were telling me or requesting I shouldn't say telling requesting yeah. better word uh, to to present something right you know, I started to lose the passion in it yeah and, and what would what would they want to get out of your your uh, address there like would they want to motivate the crowd like what would be the goal yeah always that? always and I, I originally the title my title uh, in that role was. Uh, motivational achievement speaker. Okay. So I hope that's what they're looking for. <laughs> you know, uh, I started asking myself questions about semantics, like the word motivation, mm-hmm. even looking into etymology of the word and then looking at driven and then realizing maybe I should change that and be like, how can I say I want to, I want to drive people or, want, or not drive people. But I want, I, I want these people to be driven to be you know, self-driven. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Self-driven. And, uh, I turned to obviously like these self-help, uh, books and, the Tony Robbins and all the names out there was reputable um, carriers of strong messages on personal development. Mm-hmm. And then I started to look to myself. I stopped reading those books and then realized, as Einstein said, you stand atop the shoulders of giants. Uh, I, at some point, I believe that we are our own giant. Mm-hmm. So I had to stop reading these books and start with mass amounts of introspection. Obviously, based off the context that was given to me by some of these other great authors, but I really need to sit down and realize how does that information apply to me? How can I, like, what can I do with this information? But what can I do with the information of my life, from my life? Right. So that mental journal that I keep, uh, where I've diarized, uh, categorized all these traumatic and not so traumatic events in my life and look and find the silver linings that will help me develop mm-hmm. into a better human being. Um, so that's kind of the, that's where I am right now. I have a lot of questions. I'm a little more retracted. Uh, a lot of my friends know this. Like I don't spend as much time with people, right? And uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, no and um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's some people think it's like a dark phase. I don't really care. Mm. I'm not like suicidal, nothing like that. I smile all the time. I'm in here laughing, like yeah. play music and wake up in the morning and dance. You know what I mean? Get nice, ready to nice. work out. But um, yeah, it's just uh, there's there's been so much conversation in my life because I've been so busy around other people mm-hmm. that now I think I've had the opportunity to slow things down get into control and realize that there's change happening and I can I can appreciate this change right you know yeah I think well, it's made me smarter uh, more uh, I'd say aware of my um, like intellectual awareness or my intellectual quotient mm-hmm. has risen and I think that that is something a lot of us don't really consider we consider so much the intelligence quotient. Mm-hmm. You know, or IQ, but EQ is as important. Right. You know, because you think you can have mass amounts of logic, but you also want to have a mass amount or, or to, to, to stabilize the equation. Yeah. You make sure that you have the emotional component. Absolutely. There too. Well, I mean, the two biggest predictors of long term success in the Western world are IQ. Yeah. But the second one, and almost as important, mm. is conscientiousness. Yeah. And that goes right into EQ, right? Yeah. Being aware, being able to have empathy and gratitude, put yourself in other people's oh, yeah. shoes. Yeah. Um, and I think it's 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 interesting that you kind of you hit that motivation side really hard, and then you kind of backed off because yeah. I think like you get to a point where you can tell people, you can speak all day as yeah, great yeah. as you are, but at the end of the day, they've got to want to make the yeah. change. It's right? Aha moments. Yeah. I realize that, like with the whole control thing, like. You, I've been in relationships where a few relationships, but you, I, I, well, particularly, I'll speak on one. Mm-hmm. I remember at the end, I was like, man, I was such a good guy. Like, man, what was I doing? Like, wasted <laughs> my time with this girl, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, why she was and, yeah, and, and I can't say that. She was actually, she was great, great mm-hmm. person. It's just where she was in her life and where I was. 
didn't match up. Friends right. didn't want me being with her. Yeah. You know, a particular family member didn't want me being it's with her. My sister was like, ah, like, <laughs> but uh, I realized at the end of the relationship, I was like, man, I didn't learn anything from her. I didn't learn anything. I taught her the whole relationship. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, man, like, I realized that I was trying to control someone mm-hmm. throughout a greater part of that relationship. Even though I thought I, like it was with good intention, and most people do things with good intention, even if they're like they seem very malicious to someone else, yeah. um, that I was trying to change someone. Like I met them in their particular path, and I was like doing everything possible, you know, in a I'll say it, albeit like almost manipulative, to try and change their direction because I felt where they were going was unhealthy. Right. But sometimes you gotta leave people, like let them have their own aha moment. You gotta let and people yeah, fall down, exactly. Hit their head, you, you know? know, and even some people like falling down and hitting their head. You know, I know certain certain places in my life I like to do that I like to uh, build a program for the first time try something new and all of a sudden next thing you know I'm like I'm down and out I'm busted up my heart rate variability is telling me or training readiness total is telling me I'm at one so I shouldn't be training for another three days because I just did too much but I'm investigating and that's the thing we we have to trip and fall for ourselves to get that practical experience Mm -hmm. and as long as we're paying attention you know and have a, a plan a desired end result you know, we move around as such, you know what I mean? And just kind of find our way putting that game of Tetris together or that puzzle piece. So, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I, I learned a lot from that relationship, you know. It's interesting, too, because you said, like, you know, you're in a different phase right now. And mm-hmm. people are kind of looking at you like, is this normal for yeah. him? But, like, there is no normal. You yeah. are. You are you're a different person every moment yeah. of every day, right? Yeah. And you've got certain patterns. and But, I mean, like we're affected by so many things oh yeah <laughs> like, wait okay so well, let me ask you this what's yeah. going on in your life right now that you're super grateful for and is there one thing that's really I thought of this analogy the other day and I'm probably stealing it from someone but I can't remember who exactly remix it <laughs> yeah I remix it exactly but it's sort of like like a, a cosmic sort of just like energy tank mm-hmm. like sometimes you, you're humming along you know two three four weeks of good work yeah and you're doing the same things every day and you're working towards your goal but eventually you just by the end of that time frame you start kind of like feeling a little less motivated yeah, a yeah. less down and then for me it really struck me because I was getting in one of those kind of funks mm-hmm. um, and then a really good friend of mine for like best friend throughout high school School. He's uh, about four four years ago found out he's got a really bad degenerative liver disease. Yeah, and so finally eight months ago they're like, we're putting you on the transplant list. You need to have a transplant or you're yeah. gonna die. So just four or five days ago he got a transplant. Yeah, and six and a half hour surgery. He got a full new liver. Yeah, um, and you know his mom emailed out his close friends and yeah. said, uh, you know, here's what's happening. His support means everything to you guys. Or yeah, your support, support means yeah. everything to him. And uh, and we'll keep you guys posted. So I messaged back and I, you know, I said the things that you would say to someone if at their funeral. Yeah. Like, this guy meant this to me. Yeah. And, and you don't know that. So I want to get that out there, right? Yeah. Just in case the worst happens. Yeah. So he calls me the day after his surgery and I'm expecting him to be like, hey, man, like really messed up, yeah, right? Yeah. He's like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, dude, are you okay? Like, are you hopped up on <laughs> yeah, something? Yeah. He goes, I'm not shitting you, Shane. He's like, I feel better than I ever have in my entire life. Oh, wow. He's like, and I'm not just saying that, like, all things considered. Yeah, I mean, objectively, yeah. better than I ever have. That liver had been doing damage to me for decades, yeah. if not more. And he goes, the wow. doctor said it was way worse than when I pulled it, when, when, uh, it was way worse when they pulled out than they thought, yeah. and that I could have been days away from dying. So just like I'm having like a transference of a near death experience through my buddy. Yeah, yeah. And the last like 48 hours, I've just been on a high. Like, yeah. I'm just so happy and so yeah, pumped yeah. up and ready to work. <laughs> so that's yeah. my long example. But like what's driving you right now? Uh, health. 
health for myself, my family, all those around me. Um, I really want to make a change, like the change that's obviously happening with me. I want to be around to support others, guide others, you know, through that change. And I don't want to say help them feel comfortable, but uh, it's kind of spread, sounds corny, but like spreading the good word. Mm-hmm. You know, when I'm ready to get out of my shell, the shell that I'm in right now, like I have really, I have very strong plans and uh, very high hopes, you know, for the message that I'm going to be sharing with people through, we'll touch on this, through an app that okay. I'm working on developing right yeah, now. Yeah, please, by so, all means, say as much <laughs> or as little as you want yeah, to. Yeah, so I'm, I'm whatever, I'm, I'm whatever. One of my titles is, apart from, you know, previous motivational achievement speaker, is movement coach, movement coach, uh, personal trainer, strength coach, done it for the U of A, bas- or women's soccer, men's women's track and field, men's women's wrestling at the U of A, mm-hmm. uh, currently, you know, working with Alex Petrovic, number six for the Florida Panthers, I got mm-hmm. Edmonton Kinsman Platform Dive Club, <laughs> working with various sports, right. you know, and... <clears throat> The job is fun, is very fun. Like I'm, I'm working with people all the time. Interpersonal skills, obviously, I gotta continue. You know, those things are always evolving. Uh, my my brain, when it comes to coaching science, is always evolving. Always exposing myself to new information and analyzing my information that I've kind of uh, come up with you know, over the years. I find like the tools that I'm using are outdated. Mm-hmm. So I decided Which would be specifically I specifically what? Um, and the tools that I use would be like, for example, Adobe fillable forms mm-hmm. to like Google documents and such. Okay. But I feel like I've had to go in many different places, like even using Trainerize. It's, a, it's an app that coaches, most coaches will use and clients will use to, uh, um, to basically log their workouts. Okay. And you can even sync your app with MyFitnessPal. So when it comes to nutrition, mm-hmm. there's some synergy there. I wanted to put it all in one place because I was running around and another reason why I wanted to go after this app is because I've hit a cap. I have people sending me messages like at least three to four every week, mm-hmm. uh, minimum, asking to start training with me. I don't have any other trainers. So my manpower is just myself yeah. and I'm at a cap. So I can't help any more people right now mm-hmm. just doing what I'm doing. So with uh, through optimizing a system uh, in automating my services, like I can reach out to more people. Mm-hmm. And this this app, I don't want it to be simply like Trainerize or Fitbot or MyFitnessPal. Mm-hmm. I want more to it. I want there to be a, uh, a sports psychology or psychology side of things. Mm-hmm. And when I say sports psychology, I was really thinking of a doctor named Dr. Susan Cockle, who, who worked with me when I was an athlete. She's currently working with women's basketball. But uh, she's been a huge inspiration. Uh, with her work that she did with me and I realized the I've always known this that the mind is something that is so untapped by a lot of us and I believe that the universe is mental like all is mind mm-hmm. um, and I think we need to work more like as a population we need to work more on mental resiliency skills on mm-hmm. coping skills because when stress hits us it's like a lot of us and I've part of that too crumble mm-hmm. you know and I want to build up that that resiliency so that we don't crumble so fast or we don't crumble at all. Right. And I feel like when people start to get more in tune with their, their, their EQ, that these things start to happen for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're able to kind of, let's say even disentangle themselves from certain things that don't really matter. Right. And instead of being inundated in frustration and anxiety and fear to realize that that happens, you know, the amygdala is going to give us that information but if we just breathe, not simply breathe, but breathe and visualize that we can start accessing other parts of the brain that could really help us out with logic. And then we decide, what did I, what did I learn from this 
current mishap and where can I go and how can I appreciate what happened to me? For example, your friend. You right. know, I some, know some people who the way they deal with something like that was they just crumble. Oh, my friend's almost dying. Oh, my God. Uh, and then they're walking around all day like just super stressed out instead of like, man, I have a friend who needs positive energy right now and he wants to recruit me not to think about his death but to think about his life right. and celebrate it and give him strength. You know, even though I can't hand it to him like this, I reach out through vibrations. So I'm going to send that out. I don't know if it's going to make it on time. <laughs> I'll send it express. Send it express. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and, and let me think about how grateful I am for my health, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm not going through that. Right. You know? It's po- positive and negative spin. Like everything is either one or the other. There's really no neutral, right? Yeah. And the pe- people's outlook can typically inform you on, on which way their, their health, their mental health, their yeah. physical health is going to end up going. Yeah. So just circling back on one thing you said though, specifically about, um, about, uh, like, Mental resiliency. Yeah. So what have you found? Because I mean, so much of that is predicated on a little bit of biology and a little bit of upbringing. Right? Yeah. It's kind of a balance. Like, yeah. like people who are raised in a single family household have quite a bit more, yeah. quite a bit more uh, propensity towards feeling anxiety yeah. and, and, you know, looking on a broad scale, like, you know, substance abuse issues yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then it also kind of ties in with the let your kids fail, like don't give out eighth place ribbons. You yeah. Know? Let uh, like that's sorry. Well, let like let people fail and let people learn from their failures. I mean, I know you said you don't like to be wrong, but like yeah. being wrong is the only thing that allows you to grow, right? Mm-hmm. If you know everything already, <laughs> yeah, you're not good. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, most definitely. So, what what in your mind can people do to tra- to train? Is there anything that they can do to train that mental resiliency? Oh yeah, most definitely. It's like <laughs> biggest thing is is I, I like to say is first realizing your breath. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds. Some people are like, oh f that. What am I gonna do? Something's going wrong, and I just you lay down yogi, and start to breathe. Yeah, you hippie. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. But I believe that that is that is the way to move in the in the right direction. We need to. A lot of times when you're you're stuck in when you're stuck and it's chronic and like fear. Uh, fear-based emotions, anxiety being one of them. Uh, from what I've read, our system is basically soaked in the in sympathetic tone. So it's in that fight or flight, right? That that place that we call fight or flight. And the way out of that, there's a way out of that through breath work. So we need to actually, I'll say, trip. And when I say trip, it's like tripping over a wire, boom, yeah. or stepping on a landmine. Uh, but a good one. You need to step on that va- that vagus nerve, right? And that vagus nerve, we have access to that through breath, through diaphragmatic breathing. So breathing into the lower abdomen. Mm-hmm. Um, not just that. There's a particular way that you want to do that. Make sure you're not hyperextending the lower back while belly right. breathing. Right. Uh, strong but, core. Belly yeah. Breathing, exactly. That so that strong that diaphragmatic breath is one of the best ways and cheapest ways to actually move into reducing that sympathetic, that fight or flight um, kind of. That, that that's ripping you apart yeah and move into rest and digest right and from information that i've read over the course of years um <clears throat> it purports that if an individual is stuck in fight or flight and there's a series of chemicals that the body's going to be producing mm-hmm. uh that that lets them know where they are mm-hmm. now as soon as you start to focus on proper breathing so diaphragmatic breath the individual moves out of that state but there's a change that happens in brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. So the individual, and this is why I spoke about earlier, the amygdala, that part of the brain is responsible for a series of things, but 
for that those expressions or expressions, but that feeling of fear-based emotion. Right. But Which cascades and shuts down everything. Yeah, exactly. Right. It yeah. basically shuts down or it uh, the synaptic activation, um, the excitability of that part of the brain goes up, but the synaptic activation excitability of the hippocampus which is responsible for memory and learning drastically goes down right so the way we get into that in that hippocampus we'll think logic Mm -hmm. is we can basically start off with breathing and really starting to realize our emotional state the breath work it does many things it helps improve circulatory system respiratory system massages the organs imagine someone coming over to you and giving you this internal massage. That sounds weird, but like a, a massage. I'm not that, better yet. Just a massage. So just through breath work, that's so cheap. Let's say you take 20, 20 breaths, mm-hmm. 20 focused breaths, eyes closed, eyes open. Doesn't, well, I like to go eyes closed. Kind of just reduce some of that uh, information that you're taking yeah. in. And that's the way I started. Yeah. You know, it was really hard <laughs> for someone who agreed that, I, you know, who agreed with the diagnosis of being having ADD. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like I was stuck with that. I'm like, oh, I can't meditate. I can't breathe. I'm, I mean, I do it, but you know, right. I don't do it unconsciously. Right. Um, but uh, I feel I felt like that was one of the most powerful things I could have done for myself was to realign with my breath and take back that control right. of my, I'll say, of my emotional state. You know, it's not like I'm I'm like a guru now. I still get angry and stuff like that. I still have, I still fear certain things not really <laughs> I still you know not there are times where yeah, like, yeah, I'm not afraid of anything there are times where I feel anxious mm-hmm. um, but moving actually I'll, I'll end there so okay. breath big thing yeah the anxiety bit uh, I started to change the word anxious to excited okay and nervousness to I'm excited I it's like just that. it just feels there's just a little something else sprinkled on it yeah. and I don't know what that ingredient is but it's making me feel like the taste is nervousness and anxiety but it's not yeah. I'm just excited mm-hmm. so let me ride that wave yeah. and the excitement I'm very familiar with that with track and field of course before a race I was nervous not I was excited you're excited, excited to race to, to demonstrate what I was capable of doing that's incredible you know? well yeah like I've heard it been put that when you're anxious or when you're when you're having that stress response yeah um, it's like having your foot on the gas and the brake at the same time yeah but, accomplishing anything but you're wearing yourself out yeah even though you're not actually yeah. moving yeah and that's a really dangerous positive feedback loop for a lot of people mm-hmm. especially when you get into avoidance if they get anxious about doing something and then yeah. they just pull the pin and get out of it yeah that reinforces your brain thinks okay i was in a feared state and then my response was the right one because i reduced my my anxiety yeah and you just get into this re- it's like that's how agoraphobia starts yeah for a lot of people. yeah gets, yeah oh yeah really like, oh my gosh so many people yeah I exactly get out. thankfully yeah. i've never had that i have like i just hate being around a lot of people because i like to walk fast and yeah I hate getting like stuck in a crowd yeah yeah but it's not a uh, impatience yeah impatience i just got shit to do no i hear you I don't have ball, time. All, yeah yeah people are walking super slowly or you're trying to get around them and you're like oh, excuse me yeah oh absolutely um yeah and so i mean it, it's breath I, I totally am on board with that like yeah the tough part is remembering that it's easy when someone's like okay now focus on your breath and yeah take big breaths and and you know but it to you should do that all throughout the day. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's habitual. Like I, I started off with, uh, and this challenge came from Dr. Trisha Smith, who works at Wim Hof. Uh, waking up in the morning and doing deep belly breathing, mm-hmm. and then before bed, priming yourself for the real rest and digest, mm-hmm. doing the breath work there. That's how I started, right. and I noticed that post that post uh, breath work, I felt really good. Right. And then I, at first, I noticed that I really had a terrible, terrible ability to breathe. 
and really use the lower lobes of the lung mm -hmm. and belly breathe. I, that was very restricted. Mm -hmm. And I, in the beginning, I felt like I was trapped in my own body. I'm like, crap, this is the only body I have. I can't jump into somebody else's. <laughs> but right <laughs> now, I can't even it. take a good breath. I yeah. can't take one in. And, uh, and I think that that may have been responsible. There's a series of things connected to that. That I felt like there was this shortcoming and I started to really realize that I was like trapped in my own body. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't in control. I didn't have the remote control. Right. Uh, it's a terrible know, For the feeling. breath work and then even the emotional side of things. Or I was able, I'm able to keep my cool. A lot of people know that. I could keep my cool for a very long bit. But then when that wick burns out, it's like, ah, I'm just yeah. like nuts. And, you know, now I just feel like I'm in great control of that. Yeah. You know, it's like I really see that go and I can, I can tell you where I am mm -hmm. and I know when I need to retract, I need to step away and do my breath work and such. Right. So powerful. that control feels yeah, great. Control, yeah. Right? Big time. You know, like recently my mom had a mild stroke and my sister was in the hospital uh, for other reasons. Like my sister's had, uh, I believe it's like endometriosis or, but she's had a number of surgeries on fibroids, which okay. is very common right now mm -hmm. um, in the, uh, uh, in particular communities. Anyways, it was, it was like tough because she's like my big sister was also like my second mom, like always there for me. My mom was single parent working a lot mm -hmm. and it was tough. And I remember like feeling like I was going through it and I just I had to remember that I needed to be in charge of the way I was feeling and I needed to feel a certain way that would allow that was sustainable, that would allow me to do the things that I want to do, right. you know, and one of them being be a strong version of myself for me and for my family, mm -hmm. you know? So it was a real, it was a really cool challenge because I, I thought about it every day. Like, you know, the opportunity that I have to just be here and do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I work three hours, four hours a day. Mm -hmm. I come home, I art. I probably don't see like, I, uh, there's the <laughs> elephant in the room. Oh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's but, like, awesome. Just little, like, like little things like that. Like I'm not the greatest artist, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to these Van Goghs and, you know, other individuals, but there are random things that I do, like I draw on shoes and paint shoes, draw on clothes. You like and, shoes, uh, yeah, <laughs> not too, that's actually reduced version of uh, my collection. I had like 53 shoes. Now it's down to like 28. Right. So and, you uh, almost got one per day of the month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I started giving them out to like friends and other people I know who, um, like, there's a family that came out here a while ago. I sold them a wardrobe, an Ikea wardrobe for really cheap. Mm -hmm. She had a bunch of kids, so I just like gave her some shoes. <laughs> I was like, the kids might like this. She's like, yeah, I love it. Do you ever That's ask cool. yourself, like, if you're trying to accomplish something, or you said like when, you're, when your mom and your sister are in the hospital, yeah. and you're like, I was trying to be strong. Like, do you, ever, do you ever use the kind of wording to yourself, like, what would a strong person do? And then just do that. Instead of being like, I need to be this, I need to be that. And, mm -hmm. and you're not really sure which way to go. You just sort of say like, what would a person who is X do in this situation? Like, yeah. if I if I were mentally strong, or if I you know if I were super kind, yeah. what would a kind person do in this? Is that yeah. something you've ever played with before? No, I just I, for me, I think I I keep remembering the word harmony. Mm -hmm. You know, like disharmony and harmony, and think like my, I want my actions to be run through that harmony filter. Okay. So like I'll sometimes I play out the options. And then I put it through that filter. Is this harmonious? Like, is this filled with compassion and education? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I don't want it to just be education, no compassion, or just compassion, no education. Right. So I just kind of run it through that. So I guess to some degree, I might be 
your own way, way your, your own, own way, way of doing it yeah you're a pretty philosophical guy like what do you consume and uh, you know what sort of drives that and we'll get to the, all the athletics yeah. stuff too because that's awesome <laughs> but you've also seemed to got you've got a lot of the the mental and intel- intelligence side of the equation going going back to the harmony obviously yeah. but sort of what are your favorite things to consume uh your book reader, podcast. yeah. I'm a, I'm an I'm an audiobook type audiobook, person, yeah. yeah. So I'm a, that's my my workstation over there. Mm-hmm. So I don't really sit down much. I prefer to stand, right. and I'll be at the computer doing something, uh, whatever, typing up some questions to have tough conversations with my my clients, particularly like my young athletes, while I'm listening to to a podcast. Like I'm a big fan of Richard Bandler and neuro linguistics programming. Okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with I've heard NLP. The term. Yeah. yeah. So literally, I mean, the world of semantics are very interesting, and people have various takes on it. Like words have, like their their it's 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 vibration. They have power. Mm-hmm. So especially and they have the power that we give them that we give them these words. And if you like, for example, speak to yourself with with conviction in with you know let's say positive affirmations that you can change what's happening in the brain mm-hmm. you know just by way of of uh of the language that you use so that's that's become pretty important to me as a communicator when i'm coaching kids instead of rambling on with like meaningless diction mm-hmm. find rich words to say to them that they will eventually start to associate with themselves powerful smart intelligent your right. performer like you know not oh that was bad yeah like you know so really it's helping me become more mindful of what I say uh, it's also challenged me to like appreciate music art like that art form a little bit more because I was stuck in a phase where you know the I was really soaked in by like the hip hop community and a lot of the garbage songs and like the lyrics that are out there like I love uh, I, I love uh music mm-hmm. and the expression that comes along with it so dance having like a background in like you know let's say uh in break dancing yeah. <laughs> like kids in my school used to break dance and break dance with them uh but i really believe like the people you surround yourself with the words they're saying particularly the music you're listening to and what they're saying the books you're reading and what it's saying all that stuff is very very important because it does st- i believe it sticks Mm-hmm. It sticks to the subconscious mind. They say there's a bunch of things getting thrown at a wall, and a bunch of them are sticking. Right. You know, and this is information that you're holding onto. So I'm going to be very. It's an intimate thing, so I really got to pay attention, and uh, I, I I am paying attention to the information that comes in. So I right. want it to be very rich, and if it's not rich, I want to be very aware that it, it's not, right. and that I know to stay away from that. So that's my mistake. Mm-hmm. I trip and I get back up and go, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to now watch the floor to make sure I don't trip on these rocks. Right. Well, our perception <laughs> and a reality or reality is informed by our perception. Right? Exactly. So we're going to see the things that we're kind of tuned into. So yeah. if you're consistently reinforcing, like seeing the good, seeing the positive and the beneficial that you're, yeah. gonna, those are the things that are going to resonate with you more and more. Yeah, most definitely. So where would so, you rate yourself now in terms of, um, your let's let's call that spiritual side yeah and your your knowledge in that realm where would you rate yourself now compared to when you were competing um, <laughs> in athletics are you yeah. far ahead now yeah yeah, yeah. Well, i remember people having conversations like this even asking me questions and it was very uh for lack of better terms like shallow mm-hmm. 
very superficial, you know, like, where are you at? Like, I had no relationship with my breath, mm-hmm. purposeful breathing. Uh, I was very, and it's a common theme for like a lot of short sprinters. And I don't mean short stature, but <laughs> uh, the distance we run, the hundred meters. Yeah. Think about it. There's those guys, you have Ben Johnson, you have Donovan Bailey, you have uh, Michael Johnson to Maurice Green. And all these characters were very passionate beings who you know say were somewhat infamous too mm-hmm. you know depending on which area of your life you take of their life you take a look at mm-hmm. and if i felt like for a long time i made the excuse of well that's how we are right. we're just so passionate that yeah if the starter messes up yeah we kick the starting blocks over we throw them or we cuss and we run off the track or whatever mm-hmm. but uh yeah i was just like i was a mess yeah. <laughs> i was a real mess yeah. And uh, it, it's, uh, I think back on it and I'm very proud of like where I've come or how far I've gone, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, what you want to talk about? <laughs> do, you, do you wish that you could go back with the knowledge you've got? I mean, that's Everybody a stupid does. question. No, know, it's not. Everyone's got that yeah. too, right? Oh, I would love how to. How would you have approached things differently? Introspection. I would have made that, it's now a daily, it's a habitual thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sitting down and thinking about, let's say, not obsessing, but hey, what did I do yesterday? Or what is it that I did that's bothering me right now? Mm-hmm. Why does it bother me? And then I sometimes the, the answer is, or where it leads me to is like childhood or something like that, an experience at school or at home. Mm-hmm. And then I go, why does it make me feel like that? Okay, well, let me relive that situation and let me let go of that. Let me remember that I am here right now and I have the strength to chop that, to cut that, that uh, um, to cut that shackle, so yeah. to speak. And I'll think about that, cutting the shackle, even visualize and, you know, stand up and be like, all right, I'm free. Yeah. Let me just, if I ever feel that experience again, all I got to do is think about that moment where I chopped the shackle and remember, oh yeah, crap, I'm free, I'm free, so I'm good. So little things like that. I would have spent a little bit more time valuing visualization and speaking to myself with conviction and uh, being, I'd say, uh, I'm the probably... I'm, this may not be the right word, but I needed to consider that anything's plausible. So perspectives, like I feel like I lacked that. I was narrow-minded, right? You know, and that comes back to me saying I didn't like being wrong. Yeah, you know, and some of that came from uh, kind of the household. Like at home, it was you go home, you do your homework, and then my mom would check it. Right, and my mom was like. She didn't need a calculator to do math. Like she would, <laughs> like you'd give her this long equation, and she was moving her fingers like that, and then within two seconds, she spit out the answer. Right. And she's like, "Wrong." And it was like the look you got. You're like, "Oh shoot!" You, know, you <laughs> felt like you had done something so bad. Yeah, so I feel like that kind of carried over for a long time. I was yeah. like afraid to get things wrong. Mm-hmm. I remember in college when I went to University of Sherbrooke, the gentleman who I'll, I'll speak of right now, Kishag Fevier, was my track and field head coach, and he was the reason why I got to the got into the University of Sherbrooke. Uh, I went to him one day and I was like, I had tears in my eyes, but it was like one of those angry kids who wanted to fight. Right. And I walked in the office and he's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I got to see. And he was like, okay. <laughs> like the teacher gave me a C. How dare she? <laughs> yeah. And how dare he, you know, and I, I felt this teacher had it out for me too. Cause at one point he, he looked at me one day and he said, uh, he goes, you're not clean. I said, excuse me. He's like, you're not clean. Like on you're 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 on drugs. Mm-hmm. I was like, excuse me, sir. No, I'm not. No. I'm like, why would you say that? He's like, oh, well, look at you. And then that end of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Months later, actually, I think it was at the end of the semester, he found out that I was moving to 
I don't know if I was moving to Edmonton at this point. I eventually moved to Edmonton. I had a couple choices. And he said to me, you really think you're going to make it to the Olympics? And I said, yeah. He goes, you think you're going to be an elite level performer? I said, yeah, I most definitely do. And at the time, I was still very fragile. Mm-hmm. Like when it came to confidence, a lot of people thought otherwise. Everyone that I knew thought I was like most confident person ever. But I had I had struggles. Yeah, that internal big time. Yeah, dialogue. And uh, exactly. And that teacher, like he got me a little bit, but in the best way, because every once in a while when things weren't going well and I was having those days that told me I was slow, I wasn't going to make the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I thought of him. And I was like, I'd smile, be like, I'm gonna show him. <laughs> you know? was, he, was he one of the guys doing it because he knew that's what you needed, or was he just gen- generally being an ass? That I can't answer. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? But you never I'll got a sense. Him. Yeah, I'll f- I did get a sense, yeah. but I don't know if that sense was jaded by just me being unaware to consider, unable to consider the other another potential reality mm-hmm. that maybe he was doing it to try and inspire me to go after it. Right. But I know that he complained. Because I started making more national teams, therefore had commitments to going to relay camps in Louisiana and Australia and other things like that during the school season, during the academic season. So I missed classes. This is my third year. I missed a lot of classes. And he was one of the teachers, one of two, who who were not willing to accommodate. Right. And he made it clear. So yeah, obviously some going on in his yeah. own life that yeah. he's projecting that onto you. Onto like, me, yeah. Like and the when you're happy part. with your own self, like there's yeah. no reason for what other people to who do stuff should upset you. Yeah, right? it's like yeah. wow, they're screwing up their life. Not yeah, mine. Like, <laughs> like who gives a yeah. shit? Yeah, but there was an offset too, which was cool. <clears throat> I had a teacher. I cannot remember his name. I feel like I should look it up. This guy was <laughs> awesome. I can't even remember which class he taught. I remember what he looked like though. I can just see him right now. Yeah, and he looks like. Uh, Bram from Sharon Lois and Bram. I don't know if you remember that What's show. That? <laughs> yeah, anyways, we'll get into that. All right, people can look that yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, Sharon Lois and Bram. My mom took me to like a live performance. It's like a kid show. Okay. It was pretty corny. You watch it again and it's kind of scary. <laughs> you look like Bram from Sharon Lois and Bram and he, I'd show up to class and his eyes would light up. Yeah. And he'd come to me at the end of class like, when are you running again? Awesome. Like, oh, I'm running on Saturday. He's like, I'll be there and bring his family. And I thought it was so cool. Like, I had such a, I never told him this, but I was like, I was, I was his fan, mm-hmm. you know. When he and when I went to class, even if I wasn't at Institute, if I was tired, I was like paying attention hardcore because right. I knew that he cared. Yeah, you're guilted into because you know he's supportive of you, so you yeah. want to be supportive yeah. of him and his pursuit yeah. his career. Right? And I never felt guilty. I just felt like I needed to be. He had my attention. Yeah, and that's something that I learned from uh, an early age. My grade three teacher, Madame Maragi, she was from Egypt. I remember this woman very well. My grade one teacher. My mom didn't have the best relationship with them. Grade two teacher, same thing. I and my mom didn't have the greatest relationship with them. And then grade three, it was like, my mom was in love with this teacher. Jackpot. Yeah, and she was like, oh my gosh. This one, mind you, they said I had ADD, ADD. And then Madame Maragi told my mom, no, I don't. Uh, she told my mother, he's fine. He's just a boy yeah. who's just very active. Like he's hyperactive. Mind you, at home, it was like, right. you know, my sister and I, we were a year apart. We did play, but... You know, there were strict rules in the house. Mm-hmm. So I let it go when I was in class. And uh, this teacher was so awesome. Every day I was just, even if I didn't like the subject, I was just staring, paying attention to her. And I did very well yeah. that year. And it just dawned on me, like, if you show the children that you care about them genuinely, they're going to learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, I, and it, there's, a, there's a 
a definition for what's happening or there's an explanation on a chemical level too, a biochemical level um, with the release of dopamine and just setting up an environment for the individual to really consolidate what it is, the information that's come in. Yeah. You know, so I try to do that genuinely and I don't fake it with my kids. Yeah. You know, so it's taught me a lot with patience and stuff. And I'm surprised at like my pedagogy, um, especially because I didn't learn it in acad- from academia, right? But more so through practical experience outside of academic institutions, right? But then you're able to transfer that yeah. realm of life, right? Yeah. And so when you say that uh, that the biological response to having a nurturing environment is that sort of being put in that rest and digest phase, as you put it, yeah, like, because you're just like you're not alert, you're not not alert, but yeah. you're not you're not panicky, you're yeah. not excitable, your your sympathetic nervous system. Yes. Is, is relaxed and, and then you can absorb them. Yeah, vagal tone in the body is is, is heightened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the individual is just there. The mind is, for lack of better terms, the mind is at ease. Yeah, it's at ease. So Where do you stand on on telling people what you really think? Like being a hundred percent honest, because you just and I don't mean in like yeah. I think you're an asshole. Although sometimes you have to say that, yeah. That, right? But in terms of like you, you said, you didn't tell that prof how big of a impact he had on yeah. you. Yeah. Like, do you wish you had? And like, do you try? Yeah, and- yeah. I wish I had. Like another thing, like. Uh, you know, everybody's got their own little skeletons and stuff. This one may not even be a skeleton, but in my house, you didn't really hear, I love you a lot. You know what I mean? It was like, that came when everything was going really well. And it wasn't always that way. Like, you know, single parent, uh, she's working a lot. And we had, like, I, when we were kids, I thought we were rich. Like, I had anything <laughs> that I needed. It's a sign of a great mom, yeah, yeah. right? Just totally she, oh, yeah. controlled your world. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And uh, I just... Uh, that kind of carried over yeah. into other parts of my life and I uh, I went to school in Illinois for uh, for a semester and then I went to school in uh, Sherbrooke, Quebec that's where I came, that's where I was before I moved here and I felt like I unintentionally lost touch with my family mm-hmm. who still mean a lot to me particularly not sound bad like I guess my mom but I spent so many more hours with my sister mm-hmm. My mom wasn't there that much, uh, but she was there to provide. So my sister and I are like best friends. People consider us to be twins. They're 18 yeah. months apart. She still lives back in She Canada? still lives in, Tor- in Toronto. Toronto. Yes, where we're from. We're from a particularly Etobicoke, Ontario, huh. little suburb uh, that is now only called Toronto. <laughs> they yeah. no longer let you call it Etobicoke. Anyways, uh, I lost touch with them. I didn't speak to them that much. And that was the first time that it had happened. And then I got, it became a habit. Mm-hmm. I all of a sudden like lost touch with my mom, with my sister. And obviously like long gone, I'd lost touch with my mom. I remember at one point I hadn't spoken with her in like five, six months. Yeah. Other, like, mind you, I would speak to my sister uh, infrequently and be like, how's she doing? Oh, she's good. All right, cool. That's all, all I right. wanted to know. And I, there was no animosity. It was just, that's the way I was moving. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, girlfriend situation, all of a sudden it's just me and her. And I cut everybody else off right. and it just kind of continued that way. And I realized that, like, even having a girlfriend, like, I was still very distant. Like, I never let anybody get too close. I never really told anybody how I felt unless I was angry, you yeah. know. So in good times, I was like, ah. but I would show you. Like, I'm laughing. I'm having a good time. But right. I never expressed how I felt towards this, the person or the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I did when I was angry, but largely, like, I would just get the F out of there yeah. you know and do my own thing people were like scared because I was distant <laughs> but um, yeah just 
there, I ended up getting a tattoo on the inside of my arm and it's a, of an, uh, a heart, like an anatomical part. And that was a reminder to wear my heart on my sleeve and just, nice. you know, just kind of express myself a little bit more. My sister's very good at it now. Mm-hmm. And like, I applaud her for that. Even if people don't like it, she's like, if I feel the need to tell someone exactly how I feel, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. So she's very blunt. And I like, I love that about her. <laughs> it's such a hard thing to do. But I, I think like the, the older I get, the more I realize it's such a necessity, right? Yeah. Like when you tell the truth and when you're precise with your words, you, you really shape your reality so much more defined, definitively. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. When you're kind of wishy-washy and you're not quite saying what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And it, like life just seems more complicated. Yeah. Right? And it ends up, I think, hurting you more in the long term. Yeah. Versus just being, you know, you, you exercise tact. Yeah. But, you, you know, at the same time, you shouldn't sugarcoat stuff. Yeah. Really. Well, imagine like if someone's trying to read a story and you're, you're writing it or you wrote it, yeah. but you sugarcoated it. And then at the end, you ask them to tell them how you felt. Yeah. It's like you didn't do a good job in presenting the your facts. Yeah. How are they supposed to, you know, you're disseminating that. Yeah. But then you expect them to, you know, feed into something else. That, you know, so I'd be, ah, fuck, that's... That was me for so long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you rob people of, you rob them of your view of the world, yeah, right? Yeah. So they can't, they can't see, and then, and then they think you're being weird because you're, you know, yeah. you're just not being truthful. Yeah. Uh, so, so let's get into uh, the athletic career, and, yeah. and and I don't know, maybe this is two separate questions, but like, how, what was your road to the Olympics like? But also, like, why did you end up terrible? Ed- no, why did you end up Ted in Edmonton? <laughs> uh, so road to the Olympics. We'll say came out of the womb in October. <laughs> Start off with my birth. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, I started uh, before the birth. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I started before the birth. Uh, track and field became something that I uh, uh, picked up on because my sister, she was really good at it at the time. And we're talking um, like she was in grade uh, 10. I was in grade 9. So I would go to the track meets, watch my sister race. And I, would just, I remember seeing... The amount of people that were packed in the local stadium, like kids were skipping schools to come to the track meets. It was yeah. insane. You were like a superstar. What year is track. this? This would have been like 1996 or 97. So like right when Donovan Bailey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'd watched that, not live uh, on TV, but I'd watched that like like a maybe like a month or two after that mm-hmm. because a friend gave me a VHS tape and was like, yo, I filmed the Olympics, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Did you see? And I was like, no, I didn't. He goes, hey. And I had cable TV. We just didn't watch sports really. Right. Uh, I did watch wrestling. That was the one thing my mom allowed me to watch. Um, and I remember seeing that and it was a rich experience, but then going to the track meet and seeing that it looked almost the same. Right. To me, like I didn't count the amount of people in the stands at the Olympics or at the track meet, but it was full. I didn't one, see an two, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I love this. Like, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Like, not only you get to challenge yourself against these other individuals, but you have people here applauding your effort. So, I that was that's what kickstarted it. And, uh, later on, um, I know my mom. My mom had some issues with me in sport uh, because she didn't like us, my sister, and I being at school after school hours. Mm-hmm. So practice was usually after school yeah so that kind of created a problem there was a lot of us not showing up to track practice and me not being a part of being able to be a part of the team but i want to tell you my time trial i came fifth in my grade okay in the 100 meters so fifth and i was like ooh, i guess this is not my sport (laughs) i was good at cross country at the time so anyways we fast forward to uh me racing my sister every day i could to go throw out the garbage she said mom i'm throw out the garbage and it was like 150 meters away, I'd race her to the garbage can. 
she'd always beat me. So then I just started following her, watching some of the drills she would do at track practice, right. do them at home. She's that yard and thing. That yeah. And uh, I, she graduated, or I think she just stopped running her last year, grade 13. Uh, I was the last year to have grade 13. The um, victory lap, right? Yeah. And uh, she's doing her victory lap. And I decide, I took like a year or two off of trying out for the team. And I went back to it, tried out. And this time I was like killing it. Mm-hmm. Like doing very pretty good in the 100 meters. And following year, I decided to take on three events. So I did the 100, 200, 400, pretty good in all three. And that just kind of kick-started. I, I, I saw my sister in her bedroom. She had a picture of a girl running track and field, and it said scholarships. Yeah. And I would always look at it. I would never really go in my sister's room. <laughs> but anytime I'd speak to her through the door, like I was looking at that That's thing. Yeah. And then one day I went in there and I saw it. It said like you can get you can go to school for free mm-hmm. in the U.S. and I was like, oh my gosh! So that's my ticket. Know, yeah, my <laughs> ticket. So I ended up uh, finding a track coach at the closest university, which was the University of Toronto, and met some friends who are still friends right now, who were also on the same journey, and just trained my butt off. Like I would travel an hour and a half to get to practice, mm-hmm. to and then from so three hours total travel time after school. Crazy. And yeah, I was just like giving her. Like I think about it now, and I'm like, man, I was hardcore for the sport. But it wasn't, and, a, you had already made the decision, so it wasn't like, oh, should I or shouldn't I? It was like, no, I am. So yeah. Therefore, everything else to accomplish that, whatever. It's yeah. Part of it, right? Oh, yeah. And I, I went after it, and uh, that turned into a scholarship. I went away. I was a mama's boy at the time. <laughs> so that first year was terrible, mm-hmm. that first scholarship year. Uh, it was interrupted by, I lost the scholarship to Villanova. I was supposed to go oh, yeah. to, uh, to, to Villanova anyways. I got in a car accident in 2001. So I basically sat out from school for about a year. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Rehab break? break? Uh, no, I ended up uh, I ended up injuring my lower back. Okay. So that was the first time that I had been diagnosed with facet irritation. Okay. So it felt like I had like pretty much the symptoms are the same as someone who has referred pain down their leg from like that L four L five region of the lumbar spine. So I I remember for about six months I had a hard time bending over to put my shoes on. So I everything was like slippings like yeah. boots winter boots. All that stuff. Uh, so I was the one who had the biggest issue. Like my sister had whiplash. My mom was fine. But uh, yeah, we were driving on the highway. My sister was driving on the highway, hit a patch of black ice, car spun, hit the median, and then rolled into a ditch Jeez, on the man. side of the road in the Don Valley Parkway. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, big time. And uh, so that was rough, but I rehabbed. I came back. I found a new coach. Things just kind of started turning. And I remember I had like my first breakout year. It wasn't even my... I ended up going to school in Illinois for a semester. It did not go well at all. Was, like I said, I was a mama's boy. Mm-hmm. Left home and it was like, what do I do here? Right. Oh, there's all this food over there. And I <laughs> ate my way out of a scholarship and <laughs> slept my way out of a scholarship. I ended up having an echocardiogram uh, done on my heart because mm-hmm. uh, they thought I had like chronic fatigue syndrome. Really? They were overtraining me like you wouldn't believe. It, yeah. was, in, it was pretty intense. Uh, I was sleeping in class, sleeping in study table. And I felt like I had to perform, so I put academics last. Right. Uh, anyways, Makes sense. taught me a lot. Yeah. Scholarship, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, that turned into me deciding I didn't want. Well, they decided I wasn't worth what they thought I was, and that 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 had an effect on me. I felt like I wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. I was almost at one point begging to keep the scholarship, even though I knew it was a bad place for me. Uh, good for other people, but just bad for me. 
I sat out for a year doing independent learning through the same university in Illinois. I just okay. found a, an associated teacher who was my high school English teacher. Okay. And he was awesome. Great uh, uh, influence in my life. It, uh, Mr. Kruzatz was his name. And I let him know how I felt about nice. him. I was like, man, you're a cool dude. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, hung out with him. Like, he went to his house, hung out, like, just talked life with him. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, he was that teacher to say, I see something special in you. Like, keep going. Like, nice. don't give up. But, uh, I remember training with my high school teacher, or my, my high school track coach, and having an amazing season. And all of a sudden, the phone was ringing. University of California, Berkeley, uh, uh, Kansas, University of Kansas in Manhattan, uh, the Wildcats, where Terrence Newman went. And I was just like, oh my God, what do I do? I'm going to stay in Canada. Yeah. And I stayed. I went to University of Sherbrooke. Wow. And first year had like pretty good season. Like actually really good. I went to- What Ro- kept you in Canada? What kept me in Canada? What? Like, you had the all these amazing of, offers. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an even longer story. Okay. Uh, I did make it seem like my choice, my my one decision was to stay in Canada. Mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, cause and effect. I don't want to say force because that makes it sound like I had no control. Right. So, I did my ILP program through, uh, so studying by correspondence through Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, which is where I went. I was a Saluki, or that's the mascot. Uh, that semester after I leave, they said we're gonna offer you seventy-five percent scholarship instead of a hundred, okay. and I was like, Ugh, like I'm not gonna, I can't pay for that, and I don't want to take out student loans. I want to be Scott. I want to be free of any kind of uh, debt. So um, I decide to continue studying through uh, through that school just to maintain. Uh, an, an academic activity yeah. academic activity so I'm eligible to come back and run or wherever I go because I did have designs in going back to the states but to another school right. so doing these I, I did the courses and I remember my bill was like $1,100 for three classes in the second semester and I paid it but they at the time we were paying via uh, you wire the money yeah. so they give you a route number also called an APA number yeah so they faxed that to us. My mom worked for Royal Bank. She's a systems analyst. And I remember she was like, yeah, just get them to, I have a fax machine here. We didn't have one at home. So they, they faxed her the route number. And apparently they missed one digit in the route number. But this is like an, I don't, even, I don't remember if it was an alphanumeric message or it was just a bunch of, it was just a numerical message. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, title that they sent. Anyway, she, I give my mom the money the next day. She wires the money at work. On her lunch break, she goes down because she's working in the RBC building. Yeah, wires the money, and univer- I accepted scholarship to University of California Berkeley. Mm-hmm. They originally offered me ninety-one percent, but they offered a scholarship to two sprinters. The other sprinter decided, a Canadian decided to go to University of Florida. Okay. His name was Richard Adubabi. So now they were like, "We have money. We'll give you the full ride." I was right. like, "Yeah, I'm going to freaking Berkeley. Yeah, no one kidding. Public institution in the U.S. Hi, <laughs> woo. And I knew a guy, a Canadian guy, who a uh, Torontonian actually, who went there. And at the time, he was kind of like a big brother to me. So uh, he was excited to have me come out, even though he was going to be graduating, but still living in that community. And I remember like, being so excited, waiting for them to send my scholarship. Then I get a call, or I, I missed a, I got a voicemail from Coach Chris Huffins, and he's like, uh, I still haven't received your release. NCAA right. has, like, Clearinghouse has not released you yet, or so your university is still holding you. And I'm right. like, I didn't even compete for them. Like, I just did ILP. Like, why are they holding on? So I call them, and they're like, uh, we'll call you back once we figure out what is, what's going on. Two days later, they're like, it's a bursar stop. 
And I'm like, what's that mean? They're like, oh, you have funds owing on your account. I said, I'm sorry, no. I don't. We paid like three, four days ago, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, and after the payment was made, I called, gave you guys a confirmation address and asked for my release. So they go, we'll get back to you. I waited too long. I had like school was starting, I think the f- two weeks later or the following week. And I waited. I was like, okay, they know what's up. Right. They're going to call. They're going to send me the scholarship. I'm just, it was one of those things like out of sight, out of mind. I don't want to deal with the bullshit. Let me wait for the scholarship. So we're now first week of school and I have not signed a scholarship and I'm like sweating. Monday morning I call. I'm like, did you get it? He goes, no, we haven't received anything. I go back to SIU and call the registrar and they say the the money hasn't been sent to us. I go to my mom. Did you send the money? Yes. She even brought a paper home. Uh, the receipt or the the, the whatever the we'll whatever call it, it the trail is. yeah so the paper trail so anyways they say the money went to someone's personal account they're like oh like my mom she she cross references like the the numbers that they eventually gave us again yeah because uh, they're like to confirm and my mom's like there's a number missing here right so they apologize for it so but they now, sent you one number short yeah one number the short number. in the route mom number sent yeah. it to the one that they sent but that yeah. was one number so it goes short. to someone's personal account they come back and they say well you got to retrieve them like you have to pay us right we're not going to go and retrieve the money we're a big institution dealing oh, with mistakes man. all the time yeah. so my mom was very stubborn she's yeah. like that she goes no you find the money right you could do that ASAP and yeah. get my son his release or I'm activating a lawyer blah 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 and I'm here like is that the way things are done yeah. I'm like maybe like <laughs> trusting she's taking care of this right now um, and then basically we ended up paying extra, we paid extra, like we paid the, the money that, uh, the school needed and waited for the bank to send the money back from that guy's personal account. So you found out did. whose personal yeah. account it was. And then but that, that guy's point, not going to say anything. No, right? no, no. It's like, it's like bucks. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> what ends up happening is, uh, I miss out on receiving the scholarship. You can't miss two weeks of school. So we're now coming into the second week and Chris Huffins is like, I don't know what to do. I might be telling on him right now. Actually, he's no longer has the job there. Okay. Um, I don't think so, this podcast reaches California. Okay. <laughs> Maybe one so, day. So yeah. So Chris was like, "Well, why don't you just come down here?" I'm like, "Well, I need, uh, I need the scholarship, and then I got to go to the embassy mm-hmm. uh, to get a signature to, so I can get my F1. Yeah, there's all F15 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I so I can get the student visa. And he was like, "Well, why don't you just like." He's like, your grandfather lives in the U.S. Why don't you just go visit him and then from New York fly over to, to Cali? And I was like, sure. This is direction taken from someone who may not have been making the right decision or right. clearly didn't. Right. He's so, thinking it's not a big deal. No yeah. So yeah. what do I do? I go and buy the worst thing I could have done. Um, I buy a one-way ticket. Yeah. So I take the Greyhound bus to... Uh, I take a one. I got a one-way ticket to go from Toronto to Windsor, Ontario, right. to cross the border to Detroit. Yeah. From Detroit, the bus was gonna take me to New York. I was gonna fly from New York over to California right. and, uh, and basically touch down, collect my scholarship, come home, get it signed, yeah. and then go. And uh, as soon as I get to the Detroit border, uh, Windsor-Detroit border, the guys are like crossing through and they're smiling. You know, I remember I was, it was like hot summer day. I'm in a yeah. tank top, yeah. like track and field, like Nike kind of gear. And they look at my profile and the guy's like, uh, you went to this, you went to Southern Illinois University. He said, yeah. He goes, oh, my niece goes there. I was like, oh, cool. Which campus? He said, Carbondale. That's where I was. Cool. Why aren't you going back? I was like, oh, it just didn't work out for me. Yeah. You know, did the ILP thing and ran fast and track, blah, blah, blah. He's like, so you're going back for a scholarship? And I was like, I'm considering it. And at this point, I'm like, 
fuck, like, what do I actually say? Right. You know? This and is, like, a very specific yeah, circumstance yeah, that you're not prepared no, for. No, so they go and, cert, like, he goes, do you mind if I look through your bags? I go, oh, please do. First bag, it's all clothes. Second bag, clothes and shoes, running shoes, track spikes. Next bag, it's a bunch of school supplies, papers, pens. Oh, no. And he's like, what are you doing with that? I'm like, I'm taking it down for my cousins. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck. Uh trying to go to school <laughs> and I'm like I'm just getting ready like in case, learn, I go, yeah, I was like, in case I get into school like I want school supplies so right. I'm leaving them at my grandfather's place so that now I was like a little more comfortable with that yeah and uh because that's exactly what's happening right and I remember he's like okay just move your stuff over here please and I see who's over there and there's like this older East Indian woman with like food in her bag oh no and this like, other guy and those like, guys. Yeah. come on man. and he looks like so upset he's just like mean mugging and I just felt the energy like he was having a bad day and I'm like oh crap I'm sitting with them this yeah. doesn't feel good anyways he's like you can't you're not crossing you're going home cool. it was a four hour bus ride so now I'm waiting for another Greyhound bus I get I call Chris Huffins I'm like they're not letting me over the border to cross the border he's like what tell him I'll fax your scholarship right. documents to to the fax machine at the at the, at the um at the, the border yeah. yeah and I go back in I'm like hey uh, I got good news my story is obviously very different now I'm like so the coach <laughs> what I told uh, you before was yeah, a lie yeah. this is good <laughs> I'm like he wants to send the scholarship here he's gonna fax it here yeah. uh, just so you can see it and the guy's like what do you think this is a quick copy or whatever <laughs> I'm like oh dear uh, and I realized like it just really shot myself in the foot Yeah. so at that point the guy's like come over here so I walk over and he fingerprints me and oh, yeah, I get fingerprinted. I wait for the bus and I leave. I remember I had tears in my eyes, was doing the, the grown up crying thing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember just feeling so like distraught. And I made the decision like within a week or two to go to school in Quebec. Yeah. I didn't, I applied to McGill University mm -hmm. and Sherbrooke because I was just on the campus at the University of Sherbrooke mm -hmm. for an international track meet. It was weird like uh, it was called the North American Central American Caribbean Champs and before they were contested in Brazil next year it was in San Antonio Texas this year of all times it was like Quebec. in Sherbrooke Quebec all over the place so I remember being there and like kind of making fun of the campus like oh this place sucks like it's, everyone was making fun of the Americans the Jamaican athletes everyone right. <laughs> and I met Richard Crevier for the first time and he was such a cool guy and I heard stories from him from my high school coach about how nice he was and I just hit it off with him like coach to athlete kind of relationship yeah and uh, yeah, I ended up calling him like I'm. I'm. I think I might want to come to your school. And he was like, two days later, he's like, I got you classes and I got you a house or I got you an apartment nice. and a bed. And I was like, oh, I'll see you on Thursday. <laughs> that was way easier than crossing yeah. the border. Thank you. <laughs> so I ended up in Sherbrooke, and it was cool. I went to World Student Games, and I was one of the favorites to win. I unfortunately, what they call choked. Um, in the 100 meters, I false started out of the 200. Okay. And next year was Commonwealth Games 2006 in Australia, which was amazing. Right. That was like the highlight of my career. I got a bronze medal in the 4 by 100 meter relay team mm -hmm. and anchored Team Canada, ran against some pretty reputable sprinters like Asafa Powell, who was the world record holder at the time. And it was such an amazing experience for me. There was a record-setting crowd in the stadium too amazing. with MCG. Yeah. It was just unreal. Uh, Blew away those crowds in Etobicoke back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, what? the next year was... What was that? What happened the next year? 2006. Yeah, actually, I finished the 2006 year injured. Let's see. I've, I've got your uh, bio here. Uh, Rio de Janeiro, 
Did yeah, so Rio. Yeah, so I was a member of the men's 4 by 100 meter relay team there. And they got silver. So the story with, uh, with the Pan American Games, usually I go into the national championships ranked outside of the, even outside of the finals. I remember my first year, I was like ranked like 15th overall, okay. maybe even 20th. Yeah. And I came 9th. I won at the time they used to run constellation finals. So I won the B final. Okay. And which would have in the final had me situated like fifth or sixth in the Olympic year. Right. And then so that was two thousand four, my first time going to nationals. In the two hundred meters, I had the fastest win legal time of the whole meet in the B final. I was ninth again, so got re- okay. regulated to the B final. Yeah. And I remember calling my family, like, did you see me on TV? Like I won my races. They're like, No, they didn't show the consolation final. I was like, shoot, next year. Yeah, maybe next, next year, year, yeah, I show up and I'm ranked. I didn't even I didn't even medal at the CIS, the university championships, yeah. due to injury. But a lot of people thought it was just I just wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. I go to national champs where everyone's running, and I come fourth in the hundred meters, qualify for the relay team in, at Worlds uh, for the World Championship team to represent Canada at World Champs in Helsinki, Finland, and then I I get a bronze medal in the two hundred, running all over the track, <laughs> and uh, I remember that was my preferred event, even though I didn't do much. Uh, when I moved to Edmonton, they pulled me from that event because mm-hmm. they thought I was too big, <laughs> it's, uh, too heavy. Right. So uh, I go to Rio and sorry, I go to uh, Commonwealth Games. We fast forward to Rio. I mean, not Rio. Why am I saying Rio? We fast forward to um, yeah, Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. I was thinking Rio Olympics right. 2016, which I did not <laughs> attend. And things are going well. We or before that, uh, the national championships. I'm ranked second. Okay. Usually, yeah, first time I was like twenty something. Right. Come so this ninth, is the first time you're not the under. I was yeah eleventh, and then I come fourth. You know, and then now it's like I'm second. Me and a guy from New Brunswick are the the first time in four years. It's two new guys who are in the top three. It was usually the same three. Mm-hmm. So I remember riding the plane. We're, he's from New Brunswick. I was in Sherbrooke, Quebec at the time, and I remember flying on the same plane with him. And we're both kind of looking at each other. We're like same age. You might be a year younger. And you had met. Yeah, and we met before, but okay. not much dialogue between us. Even though I knew he was a good guy, and I still feel the same way. And we were just kind of looking at each other, and we knew we're like, like this is ours for the taking. Kind of like, <laughs> kind of like looking at him like. Who's gonna win? I don't know. I'm gonna win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I got it. And this. we get off the plane. Within two hours being off the plane, I pull my hamstring for the first time in my life. Doing what? And he hurts his lower back. No way. Yeah. So That's insane. I pulled my hamstring on the track. Okay. It was a mistake that happened that usually wouldn't happen. My coach was really excited, hadn't seen me in a while because though I had already moved to Edmonton, I didn't tell you that. Mm-hmm. I moved to Edmonton May 20th of 2007. We're now talking June, late June 2007. Mm-hmm. I moved to Edmonton, but I it was a really weird situation. I couldn't get any therapy here. I didn't have any cash. I didn't have that flow. I didn't have a job. Right. I was just like banking off dollars that I had brought with me. Right. But I couldn't get any therapy, um, ham- uh, uh, massages and stuff. But I had access to that because I was sponsored in Quebec. Gotcha. So I flew back to Quebec to compete in a track meet in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Competed in Ottawa, and instead of coming back to Edmonton, I just stayed in Quebec. Right. I got ready for the national championships there, still training with the Edmonton crew via their program. Uh, my Sherbert coach watched me, and I remember feeling great, but the day before I got on the plane, my hamstring, my sorry, my calf kept cramping, my left calf. Sherbrooke was like a hill, and I lived at the top of the hill. Right. I remember getting therapy on the last day, and I walked up, and I think that's what did it. No way. So I was cramping on the plane a bit. Anyways, I touched down, I tell my coach, I've been cramping in my calf. 
He goes, is there any pain? I go, slight pain, but nothing too crazy. He goes, in an hour, be ready at the track. So I go to Subway, eat fresh. I get to the track, <laughs> put my spikes on, warm up, and I'm feeling really good. Yeah. Sprinting, doing some runs on the turn. I have not run anything that looks like 200 meters in over a year or so since I, uh, or I shouldn't say a year or so, that's a lie. That was later on. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't run anything on the turn in a long time okay. since the indoor season when I was in Sherbrooke. And I remember running on the turn and coming off. As soon as I stepped out, bam, I felt like someone had like, shot me in my leg oh man i just go airborne fall down and i'm like what the hell was that i'm yeah. still in pain find out i had torn my hamstring a partial tear very mild degree mm-hmm. so because i was ranked in, i had my standard for world championships in osaka japan that year uh they gave me a buy they're like you don't have to run right. but you could still compete at the international meets you have the qualifying time for pan ams in rio and the 100 meter qualifying time to compete for, to represent canada in the 100-meter dash at Worlds. Mm-hmm. So all I could do at that point was focus on recovery, which is what I did. I had the Seattle Seahawks team doctor doing cold laser therapy and acupuncture on me every day. Uh, you know, like they were just taking care of me really well. And obviously I had to do my part making sure I stayed hydrated, which was my biggest f- problem. Mm-hmm. I would never drink water. Oh, Even when I ate a meal, didn't drink. Really? And uh, they try, I remember they tried putting a needle in me and I was bending them. They're like, they could barely get into my skin. They're like, man, you're so dry. <laughs> you're like, no, I'm just strong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I ended up, uh, the team doctor looked at me and was like, Dr. Alvernack, he's like, yeah, this doesn't look great, but it looks good enough that you'll be able to recover in time to race in Rio. Mm-hmm. So they fly me to Rio. And I remember I was sprint. I had like 16 days or something. And I remember I had 11 days from the day I got injured to the day we flew into to Brazil and then I had 16 more days okay. until I compete and I felt very confident so I started a, yeah almost a month or a yeah, yeah so I'm sprinting now and I feel like I'm running fast I remember my coach watching me sprint and he was like man he was like very dramatic he's like man I've never seen you look this good yeah it, when you run it looks like it's like a ballet and that's actually how I felt for the yeah. first time I just it felt easy to run fast it yeah. was scary but easy because it felt like you're on a roller coaster and if you make the wrong move you're going to fall off yeah I can't imagine going that and, fast uh, yeah. I have no idea like, yeah, other than in a car right? yeah <laughs> but uh, that day was probably it was the coolest feeling on the track and then I remember this Jamaican sprinter uh, 400 meter runner and I think his name was Langford Spence he was crossing the track and uh, actually back up a little bit I was done my workout Okay. No hamstring problems. My first day in spikes, feeling good. Every other day I was in my running shoes just doing tempo runs. Mm-hmm. So I'm in my spikes, running fast. The team head coach for, for, for Team Canada, less dramatic, he comes up and he's like, he didn't see any of my runs, but he's the one who gets to make the count, the call on whether or not I run or they put in a sub mm-hmm. or an alternate runner. So he comes over and he's like, I want to see you sprint. And I was like taking my shoes off. He goes, yeah, I'm like, I'm done. He goes, we'll just do one more. I'm like, well, you have to ask my coach. And I'm saying this like I'm very flexible at this point. I'm not being rude. So he walks over to my coach, Derek Evely, and says same thing to him. So Derek comes over and goes, and he's a little pissed off. He's like, Les wants to see you run again. So spike up. Let's do another run. Really, I want you to back off. Like your runs have looked really good. I want you to just take it easy. So I'm like, all right, warm up. 
and now I like I'm feeling a little more anxious right but I'm still like right. you know, hadn't learned the like, excited track yeah <laughs> so I'm I get in my stance we usually get into like a high stance we're doing uh, some runs where we get into three point but here I'm in this high stance and I take off and I remember just as my head was coming up I noticed someone's on the track right in front of me as close oh, as you are no. and it's that guy from Jamaica yeah. and I sidestep to get out of the way and like the pain in my hamstring was two times as bad as the first time and I'd never torn a hamstring before so this is like back to back and it was like so traumatic because the first one it was so scary because it happened all of a sudden yeah. it makes you realize how vulnerable you are yeah. so this time again it happens and now I'm laying face down and I'm like feeling tears coming because I'm just like watching something that could have been so good just crumble in front of me I felt yeah. like that was my that was going to be my coming out party mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of how it went, whether I won, lost, ran fast, didn't run fast, to compete on that stage in the open 100 meters individual event was going to do something great for my confidence is what I felt and the lesson I knew I was going to take from it. So the injury set me back. I didn't get back on the track for like two and a half, three months. Uh, when something like that happens so quick and then you're yeah. just left thinking like, like if I could go back like for one second I could just change things yeah like, it's yeah. just like so changeable if you knew what it was about yeah that. yeah I would have things I would have done differently I would have said no to my coach when he asked me to put my spikes on after getting off the plane that's yeah. a no-no in track you don't ever do that Wait, when you well, fly wait. somewhere you just do what we call a footing put your running shoes on or yeah. barefoot yeah. and jog just to kind of flush some of that lymphatic, like oh, okay. flush the lymph. Oh, so you're not going hard. Yeah, because right you're, right. you're congested. You sit down on a plane for yeah. a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Most people get cankles, so that's congestion in the lymphatic system. Mm-hmm. So that's the system that's pretty much bringing nutrients, delivering them throughout the body. Yeah. You know, so uh, my dread cramped, and then on top of that, sat on a plane, right. and then had to get off and really turn my nervous system up and introduce my muscles, my soft connective tissue to like intense like contraction types, especially eccentric work, like the lowering portion under tension. Uh, so I think because my calf was, was fab- like was, was the performance was reduced, mm-hmm. it overloaded the hamstring. Right. Could have been that, could have been anything else, but uh, like dehydration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was unfortunate. My, the coach who eventually ended up taking over my training, mm-hmm. he was yelling at, Derek Evely on the track after I pulled my hamstring because apparently I heard from the other my teammates he saw me laying on the track and was like what happened yeah. looked at Derek and Derek was like uh like did he just tear his hamstring I was like I think he did and he's like why was he sprinting like why would you have him like why would you put his spikes on at? and I was the only one in a group of six athletes and we we're all elite level athletes who was in spikes sprinting right. everybody else was just like warming up got a massage shapers to flush him out and that's it yeah. But uh, bad, bad choice on his. Yeah, yeah, but I love Derek. Derek was cool yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. he was a good coach. And that was in Rio that that happened, right? Yeah, first injury was at Nationals yeah. in Windsor. Then yeah. the biggest one at the time was uh, happened in Rio on the warm up yeah. track. You're <laughs> off, off for two and a half, three months. You said so. Where did you go yeah. from there? I went to Toronto. Yeah, yeah. So my girlfriend at the time, she was the national champion in the hundred meters. Nice. Um, and yeah, women's hundred meters and. I basically went home. She didn't. She was actually injured, and uh, she made the move with me to Edmonton as well. Mm-hmm. But she was injured before moving here, so didn't have the greatest of seasons, and went back to Quebec to be with her family for the summer. Right. So I went to Toronto to be with my family, and then she came over, mm-hmm. so we could hang out for the summer. So. And uh, what did the lead up to 2008 in Beijing look like for you? 
uh, it was bumpy, like <laughs> very bumpy. Uh, but it was necessary. Like I didn't know how to be a boyfriend at the time. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend was a sprinter. She was in our group, mm-hmm. in the group, and we ended up breaking up. And I actually, no one but my sister knows this. I wanted to get out of the relationship about three months before it actually folded. Mm-hmm. I thought about getting out of the relationship before even moving to Edmonton. My sister knows this. But uh, I dealt with and I didn't deal with it properly. I dealt with being with someone who was awesome, but someone I knew I didn't want to be with. You know, and, uh, know. like a great girl, very attractive, very smart, uh, great family. I think those are things that I like to look at when choosing a partner. Uh, but we had we grew up very uh, differently, and both of us were very stubborn at the time with the way we were. So I remember being very very irrational to try and deal with the fact that I felt stuck. Yeah, you know, and we so we end up breaking up, and then I quickly realized that I had put a lot of my self worth in what the relationship looked like because. An example of our relationship, or how did I define it the way I felt or saw it in a way it was described, where people would say, That's the best that you're gonna do. They were like, Oh my god, you're with her. Oh my, like, right. it's insane. But I was like, Cool, like, all right. So I'd hold on to her hand, I'd hold on to the hand tighter. Yeah. But I was like, I really don't wanna be here though. Yeah. You know? You're like, I don't wanna and be here, but if that's the best I'm gonna do, then yeah, how can I ever get out? Exactly. And I'm like, Well, I shouldn't go. Like, I have to be here. And I actually heard this from my coach, largely. Not Derek Ely, but the other one, Kevin Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing coach. Uh, and he would say these things. And I don't know if he understood the veracity, like what, how I was interpreting it. I remember him one day being like, that's your girlfriend? Before I moved to Edmonton, he's like, man, like, how'd you get her? <laughs> and then at one point he said that we were, at, we were, we were in uh, Florida at the time. And I remember this. I'm sitting in the living room with him and he found out who my girlfriend was and he says, he says, that's not going to last. Oh, man. And I was like, ouch. Come but anyways, on, I was uh, I ended up training with Derek. Later, Derek leaves or Derek resigns from coaching duties. I'm now training with Kevin. And that's when he starts to say, man, you got a great girlfriend. Like, mm-hmm. like that's that's like that's awesome. Like, she's good. That is like, this girl's like the best thing that you can do. Yeah. I think he's so, like reinforcing yeah, you. And yeah. he's just screwed with you. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember he started getting into the relationship. Like. I think you need to try and do this, do this, say this to her. And I remember it became a job and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And I remember talking to my sister who was like, just leave. Right. Just like, I think she'll understand. Like, she's like, I think she'll get it. You know, Whether she her, does or she doesn't, yeah. that's not your responsibility. Yeah. And I was saying like, I've told my sister, I was like, I feel like I'm being more irrational now. Like I'm, this is where I was like tripping up on my emotions and letting them be the conduit of my actions. Because as, as we got closer to, to breaking up, I was just like a ticking time bomb. Like I didn't know what to do, how to deal with myself. And when we got out of the relationship, I was like, holy crap, I need her. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. Right. But what it was, was like, I just had not developed. I had not built myself up. There was these huge holes that I went into the relationship with mm-hmm. that were now seat. Like they were just, everything was falling out through those holes. Right. And the coolest part about that was one day I picked up a book and just heard about what they call the limbic system of the brain. And like the emotional center, and I just dove into it, and I hated reading at the time. You just picked up and this picked limbic up this, system yeah. book, like what was it sitting on, like the counter? Or uh, something? I went to the library. Okay. So I went to the library, and why'd you go that uh, field? Why'd you go to that? Book? I was downtown. Okay. Oh, sorry. I thought you said why did I go to the library? I jumped ahead. Why did I go to that book? I don't know. I really don't just know. Something happened. I just something happened, and I picked it up, mm-hmm. and then 
I, I ended up taking the book out and I realized after reading it many times over, particular part of the book, that like this system was in this system, it was inside of me. Mm-hmm. And I was at the time thinking that I need to take back control of all the things that I lost and the things that I never really developed. Mm-hmm. I need to get those things. I need to read the user manual, you know? And that's what I did. And I, I something clicked and I remember saying, I need to own this that's inside of me. Yeah. And I did that. Now, what happened next was me, you know, having a hard time seeing her every day and seeing my coach and after things like that. Up, yeah, after yeah. broken up, because we were still in the same training group. Frown, frown upon that, like two, two athletes in the same program dating? Well, we weren't in the same program before. Okay. Uh, like, she went to one university in Quebec, I was at another. Okay. And we met, uh, we actually met on an international competition tour. Mm-hmm. In, we were in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, people were like really excited for us dating because right. they're like, it's like a power couple, yeah. Her right? coach was trying to recruit me to come to Quebec City, yeah. and he's like, I've had dreams co- of coaching you, man. I can't wait for you two to have kids because like, alpha babies, yeah, right? yeah. They're like, guys, your kids are gonna be unreal. And that kind of conversation was like scary for me at the time because yeah. when I first met her, I was like, I don't know how to be a boyfriend. Yeah. I've never had a girlfriend before. Like, don't screw up. Yeah, don't it's not up. like I just like sleep around with women or anything like that. I just don't know what it's like. Like, mm-hmm. I was at home. My mom was a single parent. Mm-hmm. I never saw a guy come into the house. Um, I only know all I know is, is television, yeah. <laughs> TV relationships. Yeah, that's so, all bullshit. Right? Yeah. So, anyways, the the my relationship with my coach had fallen apart before obviously well before the relationship fell apart Mm -hmm. uh, with my girlfriend at the time. So I was really like on edge with who I could trust in my group. So I started treating everything like a business. But the coolest thing about that was, meantime, I was developing me. Right. And I was realizing certain things, I was realizing the flaws, the weaknesses, the strengths, how I was gonna repair. And I was starting to treat track and field more like a business. So I started to make rich business decisions. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not gonna go out. I'm gonna stay home and rest or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to read, yeah. I'm going to, you know, and then I started running fast. Dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember going to California to Modesto Relays. It was, a, it was called International California Relays. And I won my 100 meter race and I ran my lifetime best. And I remember being like, holy shit. Like, it's all coming together. This is all coming yeah. together. Unfortunately, and this is just to offer a little bit more feel for what, what was happening around me she wasn't running fast and that that was unfortunate i didn't want that but at the same time i actually grew to not care right but in a good way i was just like i don't care about anybody else in my group yeah, other sense. than they're alive and that's good enough for me yeah you have well, to you can take that on guilt as a thing of guilt right like oh yeah. i broke up with her did i cause this but like yeah it doesn't matter like you're responsible for yourself yeah you know? exactly and uh, mind you she was running faster than the previous year when she was hurt so i was really happy to see that yeah. that things were coming together for her uh, but it was a really weird season because there was a lot of de- I remember crying yeah. and I'm not a big crier and it was like I remember crying for like a, there were a couple of days just randomly I'd be like sitting there and then I would look at my life and I'm like man like it was hard when I was a kid it was hard in school because of where I went to school and I, cr- I started creating something for myself and now it got hard again it followed me mm-hmm. and I thought I was like man I'm the one responsible for this and I remember crying at times and then one day it was like that idea of, of feeling sorry for myself or whatever happened, I was done with that because right. I realized that I needed that. And that's why I was where I was, like performing the way I was. And 
like building myself up and I saw I saw this future and at the time the future was in track and field but it was also like something else and I realized the future was outside of track right you're like this is such yeah. a it's so important but it's also such a small snapshot yeah. of my whole life yeah and I think that's like you probably realize life's supposed to be hard yeah if yeah. life's not hard then well, everyone's gonna be yeah. successful and you can't be better than anyone else the right? way that I deadlifted 640 pounds or the journey was there was a series of callus on my hands yeah. <laughs> demonstrating you know the hard times that I had put in but I got stronger and stronger and that's kind of how the callus like through experience that's what I look for you know as much as Life sometimes doesn't get easier you just get better you just get better yeah. exactly and uh, you know it was just cool like I remember one day after uh, running in California my coach called me to his room and mind you he may not know this unless he listens to it and he might oh you're gonna promote <laughs> um, it and send it to yeah, him yeah yeah he's at Altus uh, he's affiliated with the group that trains Andre DeGrasse the okay. Canadian sprinter yeah um, so he's down there with Stuart McMillan and stuff and Kevin Tyler is probably one of the smartest coaches that I know and when it comes down to coaching science he is the sh- you know he's um, yeah, yeah he's the shit he's the shit <laughs> and uh, I remember him calling me to his room and he was like hey what's up it was like he wanted to make small chat with me, but we weren't on that level. So you're like, Sounds yeah. Up. So I'm like, what do you want in my head? But I'm like, hey, what's up? He's like, well, I just want to let you know you're the fastest guy that I've coached. Like when we talk hundred meters, mm-hmm. and he had coached a guy named Nick Macrosanaris before, who was our four-time national champ. So it meant a lot for him to say that. And then he was like, are you going out tonight? <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? And I felt like he was keeping tabs on me to just right. see, like, all right, I coached this guy to run this fast. What is he gonna do next? Is yeah. he just gonna implode or? going to keep his cool yeah, testing so uh, i was like yeah i'm probably just gonna go hang out downstairs the hotel mm-hmm. in the hotel but i'm not gonna go out which i did he's like all right just want to let you know like proud of you that was awesome and there was like it was kind of cool like we start i started to like look at him a little bit differently mm-hmm. i was beforehand i was like i'm emotional i don't i kind of don't like him mm-hmm. you know and i'm letting that bother me so when i when i see him straight face and it's business what's my workout sir yeah. <laughs> he doesn't work out I get after it and then I walk away after that they don't say bye I just do my shit. right but um, this built up a little bit more for yeah. rapport where it's like okay I get that he's even though he's a hard ass he's trying to make me the best yeah that I can exactly be. and uh, when we got home he said to me there's one thing I wanted to say to you that I didn't mention he's like I'm proud of you like because all of the things that you've gone through mm-hmm. like you went through that breakup I saw what it did to you and for you to come around and do and compete the way you're competing, like that's awesome. So uh, I tore my hamstring. <laughs> Actually, I should tell people I tore my hamstring before that race. Yeah. I tore it two weeks before that race at a training camp in Arizona, and that's where my relationship with Kevin was really bad because I made the mistake of going out. A friend of mine at the time was Jean Pascal. The uh, he was the WBC light heavyweight champ. Okay. In, or he ended up being the WBC light heavyweight champ. He beat Bernard Hopkins. Okay. Um, so he was at Athlete's Performance. That's where I was training. We befriended each other and we started going out. Mm-hmm. Not like late nights or anything. We just yeah. went for food once. And then one night he was like, hey, let's go out. We went somewhere, stayed out a little bit too long, and um, then brought company back okay. to the house. And... <laughs> Uh, this is me telling on myself. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, as a, yeah, as a young up. athletic individual, who's to expect anything yeah. differently, right? So, it just uh, happens. I met, a, I met a lady who yeah. actually still friends with her, but uh, like, yeah, she's in Arizona. <laughs> not right. that kind of friend anymore. What up, lady? And, uh, <laughs> hey, Sonny. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anyways, um, my roommates, uh, I woke my roommates up. 
Got a boy. I hope no kids listen to this. Who I have girls. Yeah. So, anyways, roommates like banging on the wall at one point, and I hear him like, "Shut up." Yeah. So, uh, uh, the morning comes, and you know, Sunny's gone. <laughs> and I go to practice. It was 109 out that day. Oh, it was hot yeah. as in Arizona, dry too. Yeah. And I remember the water fountain where we get our water was like the pipe was exposed for about 200 meters. The water was so warm. Was <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the water was hot. Yeah. And so I didn't want to drink it. So now I'm in a bad situation. My hamstring had cramped that night when I was at home. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. and uh, I, hadn't, I didn't have any alcohol though. Yeah. I wasn't a drinker at the time. Uh, I never really became a drinker. So hamstring cramped that night. And I knew that was a bad sign because I had had a couple of hamstring problems in the past. The two yeah. tears. Yeah, like Sunny, hold on one second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I hit it well. Yeah. And I was like, ah, I just straightened my leg out as fast as I could. Yeah. And then I was We're just good. like, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, I'm on the track that day running is my last run of the day pop my hamstring goes this is the third time yeah third time Jesus. and this time I don't fall on the ground this time I like it hits me I straighten my leg like I feel it and I just start doing a straight leg shuffle I have it actually I have the video I'm straight leg shuffling and I th- there were some three NFL guys on the on the field and they were like in the video they're watching me sprint and I remember laying on the ground, like I rolled, I laid down on the ground, and my ex girlfriend comes over. She's like, "Are you okay?" Yeah. I was like, "Yeah." And I'm looking at her like, "Shoot, yeah, I'm not." Like, you don't okay. want to know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, because <laughs> um, we had like gotten back together, like I'd say like once or twice, right? And started yeah. hanging out a little Real, bit again. Relapse, yeah. 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 And, uh, um, I'm looking at her like, I think you should just get away. Like, I don't want anything to come out and you hear things. And so coach comes over and he spends about 10, 15 minutes with me, like questioning me. What happened? What's going on? I knew something was wrong with your hamstring. You look like you were bodyguarding a bit in your other runs. I saw you grabbing your leg. Why didn't you tell me? And then all of a sudden he hears yelling on the other side of the track. So he goes, he watches the rest of the athletes sprint. Mm-hmm. And one of them, my roommate comes over and he's like, you did this to yourself. And I was like, I know. And then he starts digging in on me. He never, he's never done that. And he's like ripping into me. Like, you did this to yourself and you fucked up my workout. Like, I had 10 minutes recovery between runs. Yeah. And because Kevin was over here watching you, you fucked up my recovery time. Come on, man. Which fucks with my workout. Da, 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 da. And I was like, I get you. I get you. Uh, like, I'm listening to him. I, and I totally agree with him. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the best time to do it, but I'm reserving <clears throat> the feelings. And I'm taking it in as, like, information that's yeah, true. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. So... Uh, he left it alone a couple minutes later my coach goes follow me to the car please so I follow him to the car we leave the track everyone's cooling down now and he brings my ex-girlfriend and I'm like what the hell's going on and he's There's like nothing good can yeah, come of so this situation she's in the back seat I'm in the front seat yeah. and I remember I'm like sitting there like still feeling my hamstring so what's like, up guys and he's like so what's going on with you two like I can't handle this I'm like, going on with us? Like, nothing's going on with me and her. It's not going on with me and Sonny. <laughs> and he's like... Uh, we got to find Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> so, but she doesn't know about Sonny. Not like she needs to because I had no... That there was nothing going on. Yeah, no sharing going on between her and I uh, since we arrived in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So, before that, yes. So, <laughs> she's like... Or he says, what's going on with you two? Like, uh, he's, he kind of... Bits out her business, but she was hanging out with her college friend yeah. who's from Quebec City. Okay, a girl named oh doesn't even matter. Her name doesn't matter, but uh, she's a pole vaulter at University of Arizona, 
so childhood friends. So she's like, you're always leaving the house, hanging out with your friends, and you're going out and having social nights and bringing people back to the house. And I'm like, oh, but he didn't say enough yeah. to, you know, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> so he's like, I didn't bring you guys here to turn this into a social club or a social right. event. And he's like, I don't know what's going on with you and points at me. He's like, but you got some stuff that you're dealing with. And I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm just like a sprinter who's like... I just didn't drink just, water. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot. You can get cold water and I'll drink it, dick. <laughs> so I'm here looking at him like, hey, you know what? Like, you crack after a while, man. Like, these training camps are tough. Um, <laughs> but no, we, let's, get this, let's get this on track with the, with the Olympics. Oh, and yeah. So, and then we got to do a round. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the Olympic bit. Um, so you went through all this stuff, went through all this stuff after yeah. your coach gave you shit about the uh, the hamstring yeah. and the injury, the third injury. <laughs> then uh, then how did it come to pass that you ended up in Beijing? Going to, yeah, so Modesto was one of the reasons. I tore my hamstring. We flew home to Edmonton. I got therapy at uh, a plug for River Valley Health. They were taking care of me at the time. And uh, I it was like very stressful because I had this competition coming up. I got invited. It was an invitation only. And I remember Kevin was like, you know, guilting me with you got hurt because you, it was your fault. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you're already accepted in this event, so you got to run. And if you're not running, you got to tell me sooner than later because your ticket has been purchased. That's money spent. Uh, so anyways, I remember like struggling with it. I pushed myself to do block starts on the Wednesday before leaving. We left on like a, I think a Thursday evening or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing block starts and I felt it. Even though I was running fast just ran to like 20 meters and it hurt so the day came and I was warming up didn't even run past 50 meters because beyond that I felt pain right and during the race there was nothing other than like I felt a lot of tension on my left side you rolled the dice and And yeah I rolled the dice and I win my event and I run B standard uh, to go to the Olympics and I'm like holy shit yeah this new sense of like I'm ready to go (laughs) come home to Edmonton hamstrings hurting yeah the next like Maybe two months. I'm in. I'm limping at practice. Barely able to finish my runs. But you had time there but to I, get yeah, healthy, right? Time to get healthy. So now we fast forward to the Olympic trials, and I'm still here because my hamstring didn't allow me to run, or maybe it was my mind too, but wasn't allowing me to run beyond 80 meters. I did one 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 run in practice beyond 100 meters or up to 100 meters. So I had no confidence to finish a 100 meter race at this right. point. So my coach Kevin's like, uh, first round, he says, run to 30 meters, run to 40, and then take it easy. Mm-hmm. First gun, gun goes, I run to 40, and I back off, and I win my heat. Semifinals comes, he goes, run to 60, and, or did he say run to 60? Run to 60, and back off. So I run to 60 meters, and then start chilling. The crowd starts coming back to me, like, and I... You know, last ditch effort to make sure they weren't too close. You're like a guy racing against kids. He's yeah. Like, oh, the catcher, I better start trying again. And then uh, I run what would have been in the right conditions, probably the fastest race of my life. Right. So I ran into a pretty good headwind and ran very fast. And I remember that kind of increased my level of confidence. And I remember now in the final, he goes, run to 80 meters, and that's it. I'm like, I don't think I could run past 80 meters. And he was like, just run to 80 and relax. I run to 80, and usually I'm in the back when the gun goes, and I run to the front, decent top end speed and speed maintenance. This time I get out with the field, and I'm running, and I'm not, there's nothing happening. I'm just stuck with the, with like the top two guys. Mm -hmm. So there's three of us in the front, we're running, and instead of just finishing the race like that, 
and and controlling like the economy of my my running economy was where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. I decided to try harder, and as soon as I did that, lost stride and was swimming for like the last 10, 15 meters. Right. I come fourth, and I remember like wanting to punch the wall. I remember at the end of the race, I had my basket, just putting my clothes on, and there was this wall that it was like uh, uh, it was just a bunch of rocks, big oh. ridges, and I was like considering it. I'm like, I'm gonna punch the wall. I was like, but this is really gonna hurt. Yeah. And I look up and my mom's there. And she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> she could tell that I was gonna punch the wall. She knew me too uh, well. me Mom so, rescue. Yeah, and I didn't know that I came forth. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was in the front of like the, the there was a, a group of us that finished all together. So the time, like there wasn't much difference in time. Uh, well, there was kind of for the first, first place, second place, but then uh, third and fourth were, were close mm-hmm. to one another. Um, but I remember feeling like this sense of defeat, like I didn't listen to my coach mm-hmm. and I didn't respect all the work that I had done to get here. Right. And that just hurt. And, Cause uh, there's no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, but right? myself. And it's like, why did so I, yeah, why didn't I just keep running? Why did I have to try and swing my arms harder or change my rhythm? I know better. Yeah. You don't change the rhythm when you're at high velocity. It's going to cause a problem. So, uh, finished that race and it was like, what the hell? And then... Um, someone's like, yeah, you ran, you ran all right. Like, and you came fourth. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll go for the relay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, that meanwhile, I, oh, I get back to my hotel room and I got a voicemail, the, the, the lights blinking. The guy who came, the guy who won the Olympic trials was my teammate Mm -hmm. who moved to Edmonton as well. And, uh, he made standards. So he's my roommate. And he's like, I didn't give anybody the phone number for this room, so that must be for you. So I pick it up and I listen to the voicemail. It's like, hello, this is uh, Coach Brandon Prophet, or this is the scout for the New York Jets, Brandon Prophet. Uh, got your number from Dan O'Brien, who's an Olympic uh, gold medalist in the decathlon for the USA. He met you in Arizona and said that you'd be a prospect for, for the Jets. Da, 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 da. So call me back at your earliest. Da, da, da. I'm right. like, and I'm playing it out loud at this point. I put on speaker and my sister's in the room and so is my teammate Pierre. And they're like, oh shit. You're switching sports on Yeah, so I was like, at this point I was like, at my, I had my middle fingers up. Like, I'm not going to the Olympics. Right. <laughs> I'm going to the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> never played Would football. Would you have made that yeah. switch? And you know what? I was too scared in my life. Right. My sister says this to me. I've been invited to the WWE Performance Center mm-hmm. for wrestling, and I've been invited to try out with the New York Jets. Yeah. And each time, I, I I tell people about it, and I get very excited, and then I get scared right. because I think I overanalyze. Well, I've never never done pro wrestling in my life. Like, what if I get hurt? I've never played football. Yeah. Like, what if I what if I suck? Yeah. I don't want to come back and be like, guys, oh, that I did sucks. totally wrong. Yeah. yeah. So I've been that way in my life, yeah. you know, at times. But you, <laughs> but you followed a path that you had started off of, so at least you were able to see that through. Yeah. So I made the games, and I decided uh, I was going to stick with it, mm-hmm. try and stick with it. I kept mentally battling back and forth with the football thing, yeah. with NFL tryout with the Jets, and uh, going to the Beijing Olympics. And the closer Beijing got, and the more wrapped up in conversation I got with Edmonton media, I was like, okay, I have to, yeah. I have to do this. I'll focus on football later. Unfortunately, they were at the same time. Right. The uh, tryouts, the the invitation that I had was for early September, or actually, sorry, it was for August, end of August. Mm-hmm. And the Olympics started August 8th. And my race was, the relay was like August 21st or something like that, mm-hmm. 23rd. 
and uh, yeah, I just I went. I was traveling through Europe before the Olympics, right. and I remember a couple times being interrupted in my focus by thinking about football. Right. It so yeah, like, did you yeah, just, like, it was somehow my, put that out of your mind? Yeah, so I put it out of my mind, and then I went to the games, and I remember Anson Henry, really cool dude. He works for CBC now as a, a reporter. Um, he was sick. He, I remember he was like coughing a lot. And he, had, he was blowing his nose on his towel or whatever. It was green and right. stuff. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I remember him being sick. He was staying in the room next to me and had a roommate. And then I was rooming with Pierre, my teammate, who had won the Olympic trials for Canada. And uh, Pierre uh, Anson showed up to practice one day. He stayed home once. Then he showed up to practice another day and was doing baton exchange with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was second runner. I was going to be third runner running on the turn uh, another person who had that spot was Jared Connaughton who eventually he's the guy who ran he was a very good 200 meter runner but every time we ran the 100 I beat him head to head so we didn't know exactly who was going to run I had feelings like he was going to be the one running but towards the end after him running a couple rounds of the 200 and stuff I was like there's no way this guy who doesn't even beat me in the 100 meters is going to be faster than me now especially Right. so I'm taking that spot Right. so getting ready for for uh, we're a couple days out and Anson is doing baton exchange to me running through the turn feeling great and then it was like that night or the following morning I had a fever and I remember thinking to myself like I almost felt really good I thought it was like having a hot flash or something like that <laughs> like why do I feel so good right and then it went to I feel so lazy mm-hmm. like I feel lethargic but feel it feels good like I just want to lay down right and then I remember going to track practice and like feeling like I was burning up but I didn't want to tell anybody which was very selfish yeah and I laid down on the track away from everybody else and I fell asleep and I woke up and Al Vernack the same guy who looked after my hamstring the year before or it would have been two years before that uh, a year before he's like are you feeling are, are you feeling well or are you, are you ill and I'm like think so it was like someone told him yeah but no one did right just so yeah he opens up his bag and he's like here's some i can't i don't know if it was advil or tylenol and he was like take this so i took it and i remember in the course of the next two days i was august 19th i lost like seven pounds or something like that in the next couple of days but i recovered on time for the first round of the four by one relay mm-hmm. so i warmed up with the team and i re- i felt great Mind you, I know just the excitement around competing and stuff. Like, I can pull you through. Yeah. But I knew they were looking at me like, he's not going to run. Like, you're yeah. not, we're not going to run you. So not everyone who goes on the yeah. team runs? Yeah. Not every, and they bring enough people so oh, that okay. if, for example, like me getting sick, they have somebody else. Yeah. Come, uh, Pan Am Games in Rio, you know, I, was, I injured my hamstring. So they put Anson Henry in. Right. Or I think Anson Henry was already in. They put somebody else in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, actually, yeah, they put the alternate person in. At what point did they and make the decision in Beijing that you that, were I, that, to find out? Yeah, that was very clear when I was sick. Yeah. Very clear. Very, very clear. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was like, I didn't know how to deal with it at the time. I do remember saying to myself, well, I have a valid excuse. At least I got sick and I didn't, I wasn't inactive because I wasn't good enough. Right. You know? I knew that I was good enough. It was visible even in the the actual statistics. Like, for example, the individual who ran, who was a great athlete, I was faster than him. Mm-hmm. Not in a 200 meter race because I didn't run 200 meters, but head to head, 
I was always beating him in the 100 meters. Right. So you would have been a better so, fit had yeah. you been healthy. So, so how did that team end up doing? Uh, they came sixth. Okay. And what was interesting was I had a conversation with Pierre, who was the anchor for the team, the last leg, who was our national nation's fastest guy. Uh, he, I was, uh, he split his foot open. He was walking to the computer lab the day of the finals, or the day before the finals, the day of the day before, and he slipped, and the stairs were made of like this thick glass, and it was raining out. He slips and catches his big toe, the, the inside of it, and splits him open. He had to get, correct me if I'm wrong, Pierre, six or 12 stitches. Holy shit. Yeah, on his foot. And Pierre's like, doesn't look like a tough guy, but is tough. <laughs> you know, when he cuts his foot, they get That's stitches. That's a real backhand call. Yeah, it's all right, you know. People say this, he's used to it though. Yeah. Like people would say things like, oh, he doesn't look like a sprinter. He doesn't have that, the, the body type of a sprinter. Mm -hmm. They would complain. They would say like they could see his belly button through his t-shirt. You know, but, uh, Pierre worked hard, you know. And I remember looking at him, I'm like, part of me was like kind of, it sounds sick, but there was part of me that's like, fuck, I'm sorry that he hurt his foot. Mm. But now I was like, now they have to put me in. Right. Like now they have to put that me in. Makes sense. And this was a guy too that I was beating all season long, indoors and outdoors. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I tear my hamstring and now like the cards changed just like it's changed a bit. But I'm back, like I could do this. And I remember him saying, like, do you want to run? I was like, Yeah, I'd love to run. And I was like, Do you want to run? And he's like, Yeah, I can run. He's like, but if you want to run, like, run. And I was like, see, he's got a raspy voice. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, like, in my head, I'm like, I can't do, like, I don't want to be later on be like, yeah, so I asked Pierre to run, and that's why I ran. Right. And yeah. I was like. If he told you, like, I'm yeah. out, then yeah, for sure. Yeah. But and no, that's like, good of you. Yeah, so he was like, I'm running. Yeah. Like, I can run. This is this is not bad. And I remember being like, damn, this dude is tough. Yeah. I've never seen this side of him. And, uh, yeah, the team came sixth. He, he ran really well. The competitively compared to the rest of the field I'm sure every guy ran their ass off mm -hmm. but the first leg and second leg we had a team meeting and at the end everyone was like man first and second leg like just knocked us out of the race but third and fourth like they seemed to like really press back into the action mm -hmm. but it all depends like who you're running against so yeah it was it was tough to watch because obviously I wanted the team to do really well yeah uh, but watching period was like it while it happened, I was smiling at the, just the events taking place. Like, I'm here at the Olympics. I had a crazy year. Mm -hmm. uh, like, good on me for being here. Right. Good on me for networking, too. Like, I met a lot of cool people while I was there. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? This shows you, like, you can't have it. You can't have it all. Yeah. You know? Even if I had done everything in my power to race and made all the best decisions before here and this played out this, the same way, that's where it's supposed to be. Right. Like, I have to take something from this. And it made me hungry to come back and race. But life changed again, and then I lost interest in the sport yeah. and decided to step away. So it was the next year, 2009, that you hung up the cleats, or the spikes, yeah. rather, yeah. Um, and and now you're focused more on the movement coaching and the, and the training side. Yeah, yeah, so what's, that was it. What's really, what's pumping you up about all that right now? Uh, about coaching? Yeah. Just watching the next generation of athletes do their thing, and um, I really find it interesting to work on the athletes in the areas where I failed, mm -hmm. you know, because I see this, there's a commonality there. No one really has or expects that themselves to have or within their clients and athletes to have tough conversations yeah. with themselves. And I feel like that is totally untapped right now. Like there's sports psychologists that do a great job and some that do a bad job. 
there are great coaches out there that do a good job, do a bad job. I've been a part of both. Like there are times where I'm like, man, I'm a terrible coach because I'm not doing enough of X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. So I like this job because I'm ready for the challenges. I feel like I have access to the resources that can help me win these challenges. And there's something so rich when a kid comes to you or an athlete comes to you and says, I know what I did wrong. I like, especially when it comes to movement, I was squatting and I felt like I felt this. And it's like watching people increase their awareness of self is so, um, is so gratifying. Right. Because now they're like, I know where I am in space or I know how to organize my system. This is what I kind of mentioned in the, 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 the earliest part of this podcast, um, was it's, it's seeing somebody learn how to arrange their system based on an environment that's always changing is so cool to me. Right. I love movement. Yeah. Um, and you're also like propagating the whole point of culture in that yeah. take the knowledge from the previous generation and yeah. impart it so we can continue to build up and ratchet up society. Like exactly. Playing a, a direct role. Oh, yeah. I would, I want to see the level of, uh, I mean, and I like what you said, culture, mm-hmm. because I'm having a hard time. There's another reason why I left track and field was I was having a hard time with corporate sport mm-hmm. because there were some politics at play. Like, For even sure. when I would think about the relay team and I was like, man, it's, you know, like, I feel like he likes this guy more, so that's why this guy will run right. or that's why this person will get government funding because mm-hmm. they're with this coach who has more pull. I don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Like, let me just, like, just sit, sitting down at the cubicle and being somebody else's bitch. Yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah, you know, and, control this. You know, we are like that in today's society, but I can reduce the amount of seats that I sit in yeah. as somebody else's. <laughs> it's like we're, you know, the government's yeah. <laughs> bitch to a certain degree. Man, I love I it. I, I appreciate it. I uh, got to wrap up here. Yeah, yeah. But where can people find you? Where can they see what you're up to? And, and more importantly, where can they uh, become aware of, of the app and, and that's and the progress there? Uh, social media, particularly my Instagram account, which is where I'm probably the most active, but even there, I'm not as active as, you know, someone who has 20,000 followers or something. I have a hard time with social media. Uh, I don't like to post too much. I right. like to post when I really feel like yeah. I want to share something. That's what it should be. Though, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and I know people talk about it. Like there's a way to do it. You got to create a storyboard. You got to create an experience Fuck. for the viewers. That's too much for me to think about. Yeah. I just, I'm, it's not a priority. Yeah. Priority. Yeah. So where can they find me on IG? My activity is on two different pages, but it's two hats that I wear. One is the coaching page is uh, coach underscore pow. Oh, sorry, coach pow underscore. So C O A H, uh, wow, C O A C H P O W underscore. Yeah. And that's where you find me training in the gym, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and there's <laughs> some rich posts. Um, it's and some intimidating photos. Yeah, Let's intimidating photos. It's <laughs> not fucking around. And then the other page is, uh, this one's a little tricky. It's based on a true story. So based on a true story is pretty much like the line of clothes that I'm starting to produce. Okay, cool. So uh, that's, I'm having a good time with that. I've yeah. always been passionate about uh, art, be it through dance mm-hmm. or just even fashion. That's more so something that I really like. Yeah. Um, what kind of clothing is it? Uh, I'll show you actually in a sec here. I'll <laughs> show you on the podcast. People yeah. like, uh, is it silent. athletic wear? Uh, it's a combination of athletic wear, so sweaters and stuff, but also jeans and uh, even fedoras and oh, stuff amazing. like that. Oh, amazing. Cool. And I'm getting into like shearling coats and yeah. like pea coats and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, even uh, suits. So just like 
bedazzling them, just putting art, yeah. like a, my kind of art on top of it. So based on a true story, just replace, there's an underscore to separate each word. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of O's, I used zero. Okay. Because somebody else took, uh, took based on a true story in that form. That's um, a really tough one yeah. to explain. But yeah, we'll figure yeah. it out. We'll get there. So yeah. <laughs> so based on a true story, every once in a while I post links like on my coaching page yeah. to that that one. You know, Do you I have a website as well? I have, I have the domain name ejp2.com. And I had that website active for the longest time. And then I just bought the domain name or rented the domain name coachpow.com. But I don't have anything up there. Both of them say under construction. Okay. Because ever since we decided to go after the app, Mm -hmm. that was when I folded EJP2 because I don't relate to the name EJ, Emmanuel Joseph Paris anymore. Mm -hmm. And now I go by the appellation name, Othino Chibe. Otiano. Yeah, Otiano. Sorry. (laughs) See, there you go. Uh, so you impressed Otieno, that I remember yeah. that yeah, very, Two very. hour podcast. It's pretty good. <laughs> As Otieno Chibe. Yeah. Uh, Othino, Otieno yeah. comes from the, um, the, Luone, the Luone out of Kenya. Uh, it means boy born in the evening. Okay. So I was born in the evening. And awesome. to them, Chi means God's energy. Uh, Bay is the last name taken to represent kind of Moorish descendants. So claiming autochthonous status to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of education that comes with that. It's not just something that I decided to pick up on. And we're gonna do a, we're gonna do a round two uh, with with the more philosophy, yeah, and all yeah. that stuff because I know yeah. you're really into that. Yeah, stuff, yeah. So. <laughs> I reserved like I don't post. There's a lot of things that I'd like to post, but I'm like, you know what? I just leave that because there's certain things, certain stones that I'll turn over with certain people and at yeah. certain times. Yeah, that's good. Um, but uh, yeah, so right now, yeah, the IG page, the website, and stuff. That information, I'll let people know when it's ready when the app is ready when i'm beta testing mm-hmm. on my instagram pages and facebook page yeah. facebook it is otiano chibe uh otiano chibe dash l e l uh so you can follow me on facebook the activity on my facebook is pretty much the same as my ig okay I post on ig and share it with facebook perfect uh but yeah the coach pow page that might become active i really don't know much about like you know what's going on with the validity and having like a website and stuff right. like that. Oh yeah, everything's everything's changing yeah. right now, and you know people people's attention are diverted in so yeah. many different ways. So as long as you can do one really well, and yeah, then, and then supplement, just have the others sort of at a ba- baseline function. Yeah, then you're pretty set. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we could talk about that offline. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> be very good. I need to do that because I'm I love the coaching side of things, but when it comes to learning this, it's like. I'd rather just like outsource. Yeah, right? well, it's like, specialize, double down on what you're good yeah, at. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Otiano, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, All that right. was awesome. Take care, man. <laughs> See you next time. It was definitely. If you guys made it this far, it means you listened to me for over two hours, which for that I am incredibly appreciative, grateful, and humbled. I will keep this short, but just want everyone to make sure that they tune into next week's episode because it is an incredibly valuable and impactful uh, conversation about the future of our city of Edmonton. Take care, guys.